so first of all, to start off, uh, welcome everyone to perhaps one of the the first um, deliberately produced podcasts of the Long March, uh, one of the many facets of the classical liberal society. Hopefully we have many of our members joining in tonight to uh, participate in this discussion. We are graciously blessed this evening with Mr. Steve Baker, uh, otherwise known as the Pragmatic Constitutionalist. He is... Um, maybe taking a brief hiatus from his uh, nationwide COVID investigatory tour, uh, meeting with various uh, people, you know, man on the street type meetings and uh, some exciting business at the Capitol. Maybe we'll get to talk about that some as well. And I understand you're preparing another round of uh, travel up the Eastern seaboard here in the near future. Is that accurate? That is. I'm hoping to do the entire eastern seaboard from Florida all the way up to Maine in, uh, in just a matter of weeks. Uh, everything was a little bit derailed. Uh, well, not so much derailed as postponed because of what happened in the Capitol on the 6th. But uh, um, we're just about ready to start putting that all together again. Okay. So for those who um, weren't able to join us previously, Steve actually stopped by one of our satellite locations in Columbus for part of his tour and uh, was graciously willing to be a part of kind of a live Q&A that was televised or streamed, I guess is probably more accurate. Um, so maybe just for background, can you kind of fill us in on some of the activities that happened between your stop in Columbus and uh, the eventual protest at the Capitol? So I'm sure there's lots of good stories in between. Wow, you want, you want before Columbus or after Columbus? <laughs> you, you um, between yeah, Columbus and there. Post-Columbus, yeah. Well, oh, well, yeah, there was one rather exciting event that happened. Uh, when I left Columbus uh, the next morning, as a matter of fact, I um, made my way down to Nashville, Tennessee, and I arrived in Nashville on Christmas Eve at about 1.15 in the afternoon, and there's a particular um, a bottle of very special gin that I was uh, preparing to present as a you know Christmas gift to my host because I was staying with a friend in, in Nashville on the uh, on for, over the Christmas holidays and uh, couldn't find it um, immediately but I the first place I pulled into I just you know used my Google Maps and found the the closest uh, liquor store downtown uh, Nashville so I pulled in uh, down on Second uh, Avenue and parked got out of the car, ran across the street into the wine and liquor shop and they didn't have it. So I jumped back in the car and headed over to another uh, place on the West end of town, found what I was looking for and then proceeded onto my host's uh, house for the rest of the evening. We woke up, as you know, not only to um, share Santa Claus with one another, but uh, we also woke up to the news that there had been an RV that had blown up in downtown Nashville. Well, it just so happened that the parking spot that I was parked in was exactly two parking spots in front of where the uh, RV detonated less than 24 hours later. So that was, uh, you know, that was a, a bit of a wow uh, moment for me. Hmm. Wow. So there's, yeah. <laughs> was the uh, was the RV there at the time or was there anything out of place that caught your eye when you came? No, through? no, there, the, the RV didn't arrive until, you know, early in the morning, something like three o'clock in the morning the next morning. But uh, yeah, so that was a little bit of a, you know, uh, throat tightener. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, near that. miss, so to speak. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but it was, but it, you know, I did, I did get down there and, and uh, did a little, just a little short broadcast from the, uh, the, the bomb site and uh, talked about it a little bit. But uh, um, 
you know, it, it was, it was obviously so intriguing, not only just to be there, but there was, there were so many, can we use the word anomaly yet again? There was just so many anomalies uh, related to the reporting and to what uh, we eventually, you know, learned about this. Uh, there's quite a few pieces of the puzzle that are still missing, and I don't know that they'll ever be plugged in. But it was one of those things, once again, where the FBI managed to, or at least seemingly cleared that case in record-breaking time, but they've not been able to do that in so many other episodes here lately. Yeah, and that bombing is kind of a weird circumstance. It seems like the news cycle just sort of, uh, you know, glossed over it. Like, that was... That was all the hotness for a couple of days, and then, eh, well, we got other stuff to talk about. Um, and there yeah, was that, that's what, <clears throat> listening yeah. to like some eyewitness testimony. There, there was um, I listened to an excerpt from a radio show where a lady called in who apparently lived, uh, you know, on that same block, and just so many bizarre details and circumstances around that. A very unique and kind of uh, puzzling situation there. Yeah, I'm I'm really wanting to get my hands on the the full recording of the audio that was being blasted from the rv right. we, you know, we, we've only just heard of you know about 30 seconds of it yet there's much much more of it has been described by both the um the residents in the area and the police themselves who testified to what was going on with that audio and and yet I'm certain that whatever, you know, um, uh, closed circuit television cameras recorded the auto that we're, we've been allowed to hear had to have captured so much more of that. And even and even the, the, the police uh, body cams would have captured it, but they're not releasing it for some reason. That's really curious to me. Right. And, and how often. So the big the most striking aspect of that for me was at least based on that lady's description, there was essentially a, a warning countdown that preceded the detonation by upwards of a half an hour, I want to say. Yeah, something like There was that. multiple announcements and it, it varied based on timing and increased the cadence and things like that. And it's um, what a peculiar circumstance, right? Where you yeah. want to detonate a bomb in a, a fairly populated area, but you want to be certain to give people enough time and advance warning to gather up belongings and safely right. evacuate and clear the area. Just and then it would cycle and then it would the 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 warning would cycle out into the uh, Petula Clark song downtown everyone knows is you downtown. oh i didn't catch that that's yeah, even yeah. more so, bizarre yeah so it was between the warnings and between the countdown it would cycle in and play that song downtown the old 60s song huh. clark yeah yeah it was yeah. adding adding more intrigue to the whole thing but you know yeah. if if the guy was just wanting to commit suicide he he could have blown up the uh, rv in his parking lot or his own driveway rather he could have gone out into the middle of a field so if he the point is is he obviously intended to hurt no one at least by virtue of the you know the long uh, warning signals that he gave on the recording but then to still do it downtown but not wanting to hurt anybody yeah i don't know you know uh, you know who, who's to get into the mind of crazy people but uh, there's still just some weirdness about this whole thing Absolutely. And then, of course, there was no cell service for, you know, many, many, many locations for the next uh, 36 hours or so. I, I, it was about, yeah, it was about 36 hours before we got, I use AT&T for my cell service, and it was about 36 hours that I was down. Hmm. Interesting. So your, your overall brief trip, I mean, you, you were never in a given location for more than a day or two, yet you managed to catch on to some... Uh, rather highlight news stories from uh, the last few months. <laughs> yeah, some would say that that's suspicious as well. That's already been brought up <laughs> to me several times that well, you were in Nashville and D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, 
Right. He was there in Philly when they were like secretly counting the ballots too. Can't tell you that. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, no, I was, uh, uh, I, I began this tour, um, on the day after Thanksgiving and then I completed the final thing was a very, very small, um, kind of protest March in downtown Charlotte on new year's Eve. I made it home for, I think three, I I slept in my bed three or four nights only. And then I took off on Tuesday, the fifth to, um, go to DC and we got there, uh, night before and met a couple of friends that also had flown in from Nashville, um, to, uh, to join us. We were in the same hotel. So we kind of had a little bit of a, you know, gathering party, whatever you want to call it in the hotel room with, by the way, the, uh, exact same gin and tonic that we made back in, uh, in, in Nashville. So it's kind of a thing between us. And then once we got to, um, uh, the, the capital the next morning, you know, the, we just saw an unbelievable amount of people arriving and just stunned. I, I was blown away at how many people showed up. So were there, you mentioned you got there the night before, were there indications based on what you saw that of the volume of people that were coming into the protest, like were, were streets lined with cars or parking garages packed or hotels seemed kind of hustling and bustling with activity? No, I did not see anything unusual and I'm pretty familiar with DC and I'm pretty familiar with, um, big events because my daughter lived there for a couple of years. So I was, uh, regularly there in, uh, uh, she lived in Crystal City, Arlington, and then I, that's exactly where our hotel room was. We were there. So nothing, I mean, it, it well, uh, look, everything's weird right now because there's so many people working remotely. So the streets aren't normal anyway. In fact, we were commenting about that on the drive up to DC is, is we drove up and drove right into what is normally rush hour. We made record time. You don't drive from Raleigh, North Carolina, up 95 to D.C. without at least a two-hour delay during rush hour. Well, we drove right in the, the, the teeth of rush hour and never had to tap the brakes. It was unbelievable. But that's, that's a COVID-related, um, you know, anomaly. There's that word again. Right. So, but no, I didn't see, I didn't see a, a tremendous amount, you know, there were, there were people in line in the hotel that were obviously, you know, they had the MAGA hats on and they had all the, you know, the paraphernalia and they were, they were excited and there were and the bar was kind of full that night. And there was, you know, again, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, Trump, um, shirts and toques and, you know, uh, sweatshirts and, uh, jackets and banners and all kinds of stuff in the hotel. So they were obviously there for that event. Did you see any sort of, um, in the evening before, did you see any sort of like kind of warm up exercises from, uh, you know, disruptors or rioters or political dissidents? Did you see uh, Proud Boy activity or Antifa or any indication of that? Or was it pretty low key, just people settling into their rooms? There, there were, there was definitely something that went on in DC uh, to the tune of several thousand people, but we didn't participate in that. We just, we, we had our own agenda in the hotel that night. So. <laughs> gotcha. We had a little reunion of friends among friends. So. Okay. Do you want to walk us through? Um, I'm sure you've given the story. You've obviously written it uh, beautifully, mm-hmm. um, but maybe you know focus more on some of the highlights. Yeah. But uh, you want to walk us through that that uh, that day? That yeah, I, day. I, 
I, I think that there's, as, as I've written about extensively, and I even did, we put, uh, Scott, my partner, and I put out a, about a 22-minute video that does nothing but highlight the crowd at the rally itself. Uh, not only uh, do we discuss and do the math on the crowd size, which the mainstream press has never done, but we also did, um, uh, you know, just kind of a real zoom-in tight, you know, frame by frame analysis of what the crowd consisted of the types of people that were in the, in the crowd. And, and when, when we arrived, uh, I guess it was around nine 30 in the morning, something like that, the, the, the place was filling up. There were already, I mean, God, there was, you know, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speculate on how many were already there, but I can tell you that the, um, the gentleman that, that traveled, that traveled with me, uh, up to Washington, we tried our best to get into the ellipse where the main, you know, where the stage was and, and so that we could get a, a, a better vantage point on the, on the proceedings. And there was no way. In fact, we got caught in a crush of humanity that was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, you, you, if you've ever seen that Star Trek episode with the overcrowded planet where the people are all in, in and they're just, you know, they're just shuffling down the hallway and down the streets and, and they can't move, you know, whatever, because the, the, the the planet is so overcrowded. There's just not as another square inch for anything else to exist. That's the way it was there. We got trapped in this, this crush of humanity for about a half hour and could not get out of it. We finally, you know, I found it like, I found like a stream, you know, it was just like really tight little, you know, streams in the, in the, in, in that crush. And I found a stream and led us out of that. And we, and so we just gave up on getting down to the ellipse and went back up into the, um, uh, the Washington monument lawn. And we, we, we took up a vantage point about, about 150, 200 yards away from the only remote, you know, screen that they had out there. They were totally unprepared for the size uh, crowd. I will tell you that they, they had no idea. In fact, um, the organizing agency, I forget what it was called, some women's for Trump thing, but they, um, they had, uh, purchased their permit for the rally from the, the capital, uh, from the uh, park police, um, for, uh, initially for 10,000 people only. And then the day before, because they were getting reports that the hotels were really filling up all around the area. So they upped it, their permit size to 30,000. Well, let's just start with that piece of math in place. And I will tell you that it was that, that number was dwarfed many, many, many times over. Um, and I've, I've not wanted to put an actual estimate on it myself, but I will tell you, it's very suspicious that if you go on any of the search engines, Google to wherever you will not find overheads or, um, any shots of that crowd size. They have, they have either deleted them, or they just never provided even drone access to get, you know, shots of that crowd size, but it was unbelievable. Um, the, um, just, just a couple of, I, I hate getting into math because math makes people go crazy. Uh, but uh, you can, if you give everybody a six square foot space on an American football field, just, you know, just the end zone, not, not including the end zones, just a hundred yards. And then the width of the field, you can fit 8,000 humans in six square feet. And a football field is 1.32 acres. Okay, you with me so far? The ellipse is 52 acres, and you couldn't move inside the ellipse. Okay, so start your start your start your engines there. Then you get into the Washington Monument lawn, which is 106 acres, and 
over half of the monument lawn because the largest side is on the White House side uh, towards the ellipse and up the hill towards the monument. And I've got all of this on video. And it was just a packed sea of people. It was amazing. Uh, there, were, there were, in fact, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. I'm not going to give into some of the bigger numbers that I've heard estimating, you know, a million and a half to 3 million. I think that's a little bit ridiculous, but I will tell you on a conservative side, somewhere between 600 and 800,000 people, certainly the largest presidential rally ever, except for, you know, a, an inaugural event in history. And um, they were completely unprepared audio video that it, it was, it was just a very, 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 either they were completely caught off guard or they were very, very um, poorly prepared for this. Hmm. Yeah, I heard a lot of people who attended. So one thing for people who aren't um, sound engineering inclined, when you have a large event like that with multiple satellite broadcasting, multiple speakers spread out, um, you have to build in a delay. Otherwise, you get a very obnoxious right. overlapping echo sound. And I, I heard from other participants there at the event um, that for certain portions of the speech, that, so that had not been implemented and it made no. it almost inaudible at certain times because the, the delay was uh, overlapping the speech so much so that it was just too distracting to even listen to. Yeah, it, it was it was not only overlapping and impossible to discern one word from the next uh, because of it coming from multiple angles uh, at the same time, as you said, at different you know, speeds. <laughs> so you were, you were, you were getting not an echo effect. It was just, it was just garbled um, nonsense, but, but also the PA, I, I think that they were trying to boost the, the, the power to get more and more and more people to be able to hear in the farthest reaches, which they were not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And consequently they were overdriving the system and you, oh. you hear it just go Heav and heavy clipping and yeah, and yeah. headroom would, issues. And, and it would just, you know. it would just deep, you know, it would, it would, go down and then you, it'd come back up again, you know, but uh, yeah, they, they, they weren't ready for that crowd size at all. And then, you know, the next thing that we did an analysis on was the content of the crowd. And I'll tell you, you know, in my camera frame, my videos camera frame, I saw no issues. There were, you know, there was no uh, ComGat gear. There was no tactical helmets. There were no, um, uh, gas masks there was nobody wearing radio you know walkie talkies there was there was no uh um uh protective vests uh they just it just was a group of you know what you would expect to see at a, an average trump rally you know whether it was you know you know timbuktu or or you know wherever it was just it was just not a ominous looking group of people in any way, shape or form, but we caught those people on video too later. <laughs> so what was the, was the uh, tone of the crowd, like the average participant? I mean, uh, jubilant, frustrated, aggressive. What, what was kind of the, the feel it was, of the general population? It was celebratory and expectant because uh, as I had announced on my, uh, all of my media sources and, you know, social media pages that uh, the reason I was going, because I, you know, I, I make no bones about it. I was, I was, you know, hashtag never Trump before that was cool. And, and I uh, changed my uh, approach to the Trump presidency after, you know, he, he became the president and I started just calling balls and strikes. So it was just, you know, for me, it was just hashtag good Trump, hashtag bad Trump. I'm just going to analyze one thing at a time and one issue at a time and take it from there. And, and that never changed uh, throughout the four years that, that he was in office. But uh, 
by the time I got to the, um, uh, or the lead up to going to DC on the sixth, I had announced that I was going specifically to watch, observe and cover the event. And I would report back what I saw because I didn't know what to expect. You know, all, I, I honestly believe, believed, okay, that if they were going to, you know, unleash the Kraken, it was going to be that day. Okay. So they'd, you know, we, we heard, we heard over and over and over again that there was this thing coming and there was this big moment when it was all, all was going to be revealed. And, and I will tell you, I had one single hope from the Trump presidency for all of his flaws and for all the things that he, that he did horribly and all of his, you know, his, his crap on Twitter and, and, and also for all the things that, that he did that I did also like. The one thing that I hoped is that he was going to be the guy that was going to push down the pillar temples of the deep state. You know what I mean? That was my expectation. And I wanted to see if that was going to happen to that day and be there for that event and record that day in history. And I will tell you, it didn't happen. It was a very, to answer your question, it was a very jubilant crowd. Uh, expectations were high. You know, there was all kinds of chants of, you know, USA, USA, stop the steal, stop the steal. And, you know, people were singing the national anthem. It, you know, it was just, it was it, flags. I've never seen a sea of flags like that in my life. And because the wind was really whipping that day, it was, it was quite a spectacle. I don't care if you, I don't care if you're a Trump fan or not, just to be in the middle of hundreds of thousands of people and just look out as far in every direction as you can see, uh, as far, I mean, literally, could not see the end of the crowd in any, in, in any direction. And then just this tens of thousands of big flags flapping in the breeze of all types. So, you know, it was, it was, it was interesting to be in, in a situation like that because I'd never been amongst that many people before in my life. Did the election, the uh, prior night have, would you say an effect on the crowd? Would, had that brought people down or were more people just waiting for the crack into, you know, appear? I am, I am certain that the reason that crowd was so large is that everybody thought that that day was the day it was happening that day. We were all going to see the, you know, the clouds are going to part. Uh, either Jesus was going to ride down on a white stallion with flame coming out of his eyes, or Trump was going to release the crack and, and we were going to learn beyond any shadow of a doubt that that election had been stolen and neither happened, of course. But then something else happened. Right. So walk us through. Obviously, people start walking to the uh, to the Capitol Hill. Um, the the perception from the outside, at least somebody who's not uh, an avid MSNBC viewer, um, is that you kind of had different groups. You obviously had the massive crowd. Then you had some people that were prepared for trouble. Um, seemed to be organized. Seemed to have had brought material with them. Um, we're working with one another at walkie talkies and stuff like that, smashing windows. And then you had, uh, another group of probably, you know, valid Trump supporters and people that were participants in the rally, um, with some oddities such as, you know, the Capitol Hill police, just letting everybody in, opening the doors and letting, letting everybody in. Um, you know, what's, what, from your vantage point, what took place? Um, what kind of odd stuff you know needs to be yeah. analyzed and then uh 
The first, the first thing that needs to be analyzed, and this, and this is hard for me because now it makes me sound like a Trump apologist, and I'm not a Trump apologist. I am a balls and strike guy. I am a truth guy. I don't care which direction the truth comes from. I don't care as long as the truth hits me in the head, and then you know, I, and I recognize it as truth, and I'll take it. So the first thing that has to be understood about this whole event was the timelines. Trump, first of all very much frustrated his own audience because he was supposed to be on stage at 11 o'clock. Well, after his um, opening acts, you know, Giuliani and, and his, and junior and all that had finished up. Then suddenly the stage was empty for 57 minutes. There was nothing. It was just, you know, bad audio, bad music, bad playlist. And, and they didn't even bring enough songs. So we were, we kept hearing, you know, a journey and, uh, a couple of other songs over, you know, over and over and over again. And then finally he took the stage at 11:57. Okay, so for those of you keeping score, Trump took the stage at 11:57. I did not stay for even half of his 70-minute speech. It was just the, you know, you couldn't understand it, you couldn't see it. Um I looked over at my partner, I said, "Let's uh let's head to the Capitol." Because uh, everybody was going to do that anyway. Everybody was going to go make their presence known at the Capitol. And, you know, to see hundreds of thousands of people going up to the Capitol, I thought that'd be pretty cool, too. Again, was not, that being organized or people talking about that ahead of time? That oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it, it was it was always planned just and I, and I don't know that it was an organized plan. It was just a, it was always an expectation because of what was happening in the Capitol that day that, you know, thousands upon thousands of people would then march up there and let their presence be known. And, you know, their their voice heard, you know, chanting. And you can imagine, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of people chanting outside the Capitol would have to be heard inside no matter where they were, what chamber they were in. And that's exactly what I expected to happen. But we left early and I, I took, I think I took my first, uh, I started taking my first camera, you know, shots of the Capitol itself well before Trump had even finished his, um, uh, his speech. And I had, I had to stop at one point in a, in a intersection. I, I'm walking right down the middle of the mall towards the Capitol, but I counted seven thoroughfares of, of streets just packed with tens of thousands of people already working their way toward the Capitol. And, 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 if, and you, if you go look at my video analysis, uh, which it's posted on all, all our social media page. In fact, the, my, my examination of the crowd itself is pretty um, low key. So I was able to put that one on, uh, on YouTube. I couldn't put the uh, battle scenes on YouTube, but, but the, that examination of the number of people that were walking towards the Capitol it's, you know, we're talking about, you know, typical overweight Americans just, you know, and it's a long walk, depending upon whether you were at the monument or all the way down the lips it, and, and considering the size of the crowd, size of the crowd, it's anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, you know, for a healthy person. And these people were just, you know, waddling on down there best they could, you know, that, you know, good, good old fashioned, you know, uh, fried chicken eating, you know, MAGA people and, it, it just, it wasn't a battle crowd, not any, and in all of my videos of the marching towards the Capitol, again, there's nobody wearing tactical gear. There's nobody got weapons of any, they're not, they're not carrying baseball bats or, you know, hockey sticks or anything else that you've seen or heard about in the, in, in the news. It's just middle America, you know, working its way to the Capitol. And I've got the video to prove that. Um, 
at uh, exactly 1.19 p.m., I hit that first tier of the steps because when we got to the reflection pool, I looked up and I could see, I could see the police were piling out of the Capitol. They were, I mean, they were running in streams out and running down to something and there was already smoke. There was already, we could already see that there was um, uh, uh, tear gas and we could already hear the, you know, of, of like flashbangs going off. And I looked over at my buddy and said, that's where I'm headed. Let's go. And so we ran up there right away, you know, and again, camera in hand. And as, and as soon as I, you know, rounded the corner up to that very first tier where the, where the most, you know, um, uh, infamous battle scenes were, you know, lines were taking place. Uh, first thing was people on their knees getting, you know, first aid from the pepper spray and all that kind of stuff. And guys were ripping at the barricades uh, or the cops. And I was like, wow, because this, and it was, fully engaged at this point. These guys had already been there for a long time. And now we saw all the tack gear. We saw everything. We saw the helmets. We saw the protective, you know, vest. We saw the full, you know, full uh, on militia looking guys. We saw the uh, black block guys. We saw every organization you can think of that would be antagonistic towards the federal government were all lined up doing the same thing and going after the same cops. Hmm. And they were already there. They were not at the rally. That's the part of the that's the part of the narrative that has to be fixed and squashed. What's so, um, go ahead, Jack. <clears throat> I guess what what would be the biggest piece of evidence that, that suggests that the people causing problems weren't part of the protest? Um, you know, I I, uh, I wrote about this in my ninety four hundred word story that I socked myself away into write uh, a write about to get this out before you know anything else happened or or my opportunity to write would have been interrupted by a um, uh, law enforcement or FBI or whatever and I said in that that I had a new axiom and my new axiom was is that from this point forward I will only believe what I see with my own two eyes but then I'm going to go back and look at the video because when I did my first kind of decompression debrief video that night, myself and the guy that went with me, we posted a video and we both agreed when we got to those uh, Capitol uh, Terrace where the battle uh, scrum was taking place, we both agreed that we what we saw was Trump people going after the Capitol cops. That's what we agreed that we saw. We both said on the video was you know, Antifa there. Oh, most certainly. But it, this was, this was largely, a, you know, pro MAGA crowd. And then I had the opportunity to spend five days going frame by frame and start, you know, tearing into that video. And I will tell you that much, much, much more comes to, you know, the much more is revealed what you, what you see with your own eyes and what your, what your human brain is able to process in a circumstance like that it's impossible to see it all i mean you're just seeing five percent or less of what's going on in a in a in a you know uh such a fluid and and hostile and um you know vicious uh group of hundreds of people going at each other and so uh it wasn't until the videotape was rolling that i began to really see and understand what was going on so what was so in the videotape, what was some of the like most obvious or the things that stood out to you after you, you know, you looked at it a, a second, third time? 
Yeah, second, third, and twentieth time. Uh, some of it, I'm even, I'm even having to go back and look at again because of new information that I've, I've, I've received of things that I need to be looking for. But the, you know, the, the first and most obvious thing you see is you do see all of the, you know, the MAGA gear. You see all of the, you know, the pro-Trump stuff. It's just everywhere. Everybody's wearing it. I don't care who you are. Every, you know, almost everybody's wearing it. Almost, but not everybody. But the, the the thing that was most um, uh, apparent immediately was the the attacking crowd that they're now being called, you know, domestic terrorists and insurrectionists were unarmed, unless you know you consider a baseball bat because there was there was a baseball bat, and they were tearing these fencing pieces, these black fencing apart, and they were they were launching those fencing pieces in, at the cops, and and they did some damage. They they injured injured a lot of policemen that day. I saw there was a I have quite a few scenes of that I was able to get from behind, you know, up above and behind where the police line actually was. And there was police back there getting first aid the whole time. And then they would go back and get fixed get, because they were being sprayed with bear spray and, you know, all kinds of other things. They were being hit with things. And then they would, um, you know, run back and get on the front line. And then whoever was hurt would go back and get aid themselves. It was, it was quite a chaotic, you know, scene both on the line and behind the line. But the other thing too was, is that when you're down there, um, uh, in the middle of what, you know, when, where it's all happening is you start seeing also all the, um, the preparedness of the group. And I think maybe you asked a little question about that earlier and I chased some rabbit, but the, the, the most obvious thing that you saw the difference between the rally crowd and the battle line was the preparedness. that was already there. These people were prepared and they were also, um, experienced in these types of protests and riots. They knew exactly what to bring with them. They had their medics out there. And you know what I mean by that? They had, you know, you've yeah. seen, we've seen all the Antifa riots all over the country and we've seen how they have their own layers. You know, they have, they have their, their, you know, their, their provocateurs and they're waving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you've got the umbrella guys, you've got people with shields and then, and then they're calling, you know, and then they're inside, then you've got, you know, the, your provocateurs are inciting people to battle, you know, so they're like, and, and, you know, and I'm going to tell you, look, let's make no mistake about it. All right. When you look over those cop shoulders and you see that Capitol building and you know, the darkness that emanates from that place and you know, the malfeasance and you know, the number of oath breakers and liars that are inside that building and those carnival barkers are hollering at you, inviting you into battle. It's powerful, especially when yeah. you're in the middle of that, that scene. And that's why so many of those people that later arrived from the rally that were unprepared for this kind of, you know, thing, they, they got involved. They were, drawn, yeah, they were drawn right into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, there's just a different, there's a Hong Kong protest, Antifa protest. Yeah, you don't see that level of of preparedness and experience from from Trump rallies. You just you just don't. No, no, no it's never happened. It's never you know what we've had you know an example of one guy hitting you know hitting somebody in a in a uh, an arena or a ball field one time. You know, somebody punched somebody at a rally. You you heard some bad names said at rallies, but you, nobody came to Trump rallies prepared like this. And this, as I said, they were these people were not at the Trump rally. They were already there at the Capitol. They had already broken through the first lines, and they were already doing battle with the cops uh, before Trump ever finished his speech. And then you had the long walk over. It wasn't until much later that the people from the rally came in. Were like going, you know, wow. 
So lots of times is- when, when we see these kind of, uh, you know, riot events or, or whatever, civil disturbances, et cetera, the, the police sort of take on a, uh, almost like a, a sheepdog role. They kind of like herd and guide and corral. And it seems like it's relatively deliberate and controlled. Um, but from some of the footage that's come out from the, the Capitol riot, and I'm assuming a lot of that was from the area where you're at, it seems as though the police were uh, overwhelmed, underprepared, not appropriately staffed or, or had a plan in place to handle that. What was your perception of the law enforcement response to kind of the battle line you witnessed? Yeah, well, they were not only underprepared and overwhelmed. <laughs> Those are understatements uh, times 10, but um, they were also under orders to just at some point, just to back. It was like, this, this was my impression. And again, you know, there, there's, there's what I saw with my eyes. And then there's what I saw in going and reviewing hours worth of video afterwards is that the, at the post video analysis of all of this is that it was, it was a game almost. It was like, you know, got you guys on the front line, double up, triple up, let the, let the insurgents press, they press, they press, they press, they press. And then, you know, everybody backs away. They change their, everybody changes their lines. But, but, but here's the thing is that every single one of those Capitol police, Metro police, and all the other departments that started um, uh, reinforcing those lines, they were all armed. This did not have to happen. This thing could have ended in five minutes or less. All they needed was one order to draw down on that crowd. And I'm telling you, it would have been 50,000 Trump people stampeding the other way. Maybe there would have been more damage done, you know, more loss of life had they done that. But the point is, is that no one ever had to enter that building. No one ever had to break through that line. It didn't have to happen. Just as just as Minneapolis didn't have to happen, just as Portland doesn't have to happen, just as the you know the 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 um, autonomous zones don't have to happen, they're being allowed to happen. And what and I will tell you, my takeaway is that I watched a two-hour theater play. It wasn't necessarily scripted; it was ad-libbed, and the participants all knew that they were going to be there. And as we all know now, we do, in fact, know it well. If you remember reporting on the first two days, they were talking about the failure in intelligence. And, of course, you know, then, you know, the, the, the Capitol Police chief had to fall on the sword and resign. And uh, but now now we know so much better. They knew the FBI knew. We know that um, Congress knew. We knew that there were congressmen that were already alerted by their own by their own testimony, their own, you know, interviews on, on, on even the MSN. We have, we have um, testimonies from congressmen that had been warned by their own personal security what was coming. Everybody knew. That this John was- Sullivan knew. What's that? John Sullivan knew. Yeah. The left-wing radical. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I got, uh, did you know, I, I interviewed uh, James, his brother, the other night. Have you seen that yet? No. Yeah, John Sullivan obviously knew, and you know he's a provocateur from uh, Utah, who organized the rally in Provo where uh, somebody was shot. In fact, he was standing right next to the guy who pulled the gun and did the shooting, and then he was arrested for that event. And then he was in D.C. as well. He was the guy 
that actually got, you know, some of the best footage, uh, if you can call it best footage, but he, he got some of the, you know, close up footage of Ashley Babbitt being killed. And he was actually seen on, on camera as well, using a police riot shield and breaking that window in that hallway, you know, uh, in the Capitol. And, um, and then he was there and he was the one that was actually telling her, you go first, you know, after, after the window was broken, she jumped up in the window and, you know, cop shot her she fell back and then he's got all that close-up video and then of course you know that john um sullivan then was on uh uh anderson cooper show on cnn with the um the the female videographer uh documentarian and um telling his story and then of course when all the other video uh, came out showing him actually doing damage and some of the things that he was said you know we're going to burn this shit down that kind of stuff like that then obviously he got arrested as well so anyway i got a um, I, I i posted it's on uh, it's on youtube uh, uh, a podcast on my channel uh, the pragmatic constitutionalist of my interview with james sullivan his brother who actually ratted him out to the fbi is James like a, also a left-wing provocateur or is he kind of like, no, James is, a, this is an interesting story that the, both boys grew up in a, uh, very conservative military. Their father was a military officer, um, uh, LDS home, Mormon family, black Mormons, um, uh, very involved. Uh, James is very, very involved in, um, black GOP, uh, politics. Um, and uh, John was uh, a few years ago was actually in training to be an Olympic speed skater. He had quite his, his own background and story as well. Uh, upwardly mobile, successful in his career, was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh, in in uh, the business that he was in post uh, his um, failure to make the Olympic team. He went into business and was making a lot of money. And then somewhere along the lane way, he either got radicalized or he just decided to use this opportunity of the George Floyd thing, the BLM thing to make a name for himself. And he founded his own movement. Um, uh, based Insurrection out of USA. Yeah. Yeah. Insurrection, Insurrection USA. He founded his own movement and, um, and then made himself uh, infamous in the Provo riot uh, with the shooting there. And then once again in DC, the shooting there, right at, you know, both scenes. I think it's, I think it's important to note when people talk to about Antifa, uh, you know, it's always dismissed by the, by the left or by the people that don't want to pretend like that they even exist is this, Oh, mm -hmm. where's their building? Where's their mailing address? Show me their tax ID number, the Antifa logo. Right. You know, it's important to state right. that Antifa is 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 the is the word that they use when they pull the mask on. They wear the the the, the flag, which is based on the Communist Party, the German Communist Party, anti-fascist, whatever the hell that is in German. Yeah. Um, but Insurrection USA, uh, fascism, stop fascism and fascism. All these grassroots organizations that engage in violent or violent protests. Um, and have their little underground meetings where they're talking about a lot of these techniques and how to get violent and how to stir shit and how to infiltrate uh, Trump supporters and, and how to shut down a Ben Shapiro speech or whatever the hell. That's what is being referred to as Antifa. Um, so I think it's just important right. to, to note that's those are the specifics of what we're pointing of what people are pointing out. And then they use Antifa as opposed to trying to figure out what specific grassroots, grassroots organization they're they're talking about. And they do have a handbook <laughs> that they, you know, they work out of, but the, the, um, uh, 
the interview that I did with, with James, I specifically got into that. And I said, I, what, I don't want any speculation. I want to know what your brother did that day. And he had uh, himself organized uh, uh, quite a few people. They were actually in a parking lot. I think if, I don't, if I get this wrong, it's, it's on video. Uh, it's just my bad memory. But um, I believe that they met there in the um, of the BLM Plaza or Square, whatever they're calling it now in, in D.C. And they and he openly admits that they were there handing out, you know, had a box full of Trump gear and, you know, ball caps and were handing it out to all their people that they had organized uh, from their particular leftist you know group that was going in. And then I asked uh, James, I said, well, you know, in your estimate, estimation, how many of that, you know, frontline crowd that was there were actually uh, Antifa uh, types or operatives. Uh, and he said that he knows from the particular uh, chat groups and the, the, you know, the private uh, um, communication uh resources that they use that there were organized that day over 200. So he, you know, he kind of used, let's say it was a minimum of 200 were involved in that particular process. So just I want from insurrection USA, not just insert. No, not insurrection USA was just part of that overall movement Other. that you were talking about. You know, they have their own little names and their own little cells and their own little, you know, actions that they do. And then they disclaim each other. Uh, oh, yeah, so no, more no. than John Sullivan's group was present that day and a part of that, that violence that took place. Yeah. And when you, and when you're watching, when you're watching the video back frame by frame, you, you, you start learning how to pick out which ones are which, because let's, let's not, let's not uh, gloss this over. Were the proud boys there? Oh yeah. They were there in force. They were there in force. Uh, they have been identified. There's been at least seven of them that are known, you know, activists with the proud boys were already been arrested and there will be more arrests. Uh, were various militias uh, there from all over the country? Absolutely. I've got close-ups of their patches and their, you know, identifying marks. Um, they, they were there. Uh, there were uh, the three percenters, whew, man, they were there in force. But then when you start looking in the crowd, because you can't, you can't look at just as, just as John Sullivan said on CNN, we were there handing out Trump gear for everybody to wear. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. no way of telling. Right. It, I mean, you, you don't get any more, you know, blatant than that. He just said, this is what we do. And then once you start going frame by frame, you start going, okay, you start seeing those Hong Kong tactics that Antifa specifically went over and learned about and brought back over here. And you start going, okay, there's that, there's that guy, there's that guy. Oh, wow. Look at that. You know, and, and you start, you start seeing the ones that stand out with very, very specific tactics that are different from, you know, the other, the other groups that were there. Did he know how many specifically were from John Sullivan's group? Um, if I remember correctly, he said that John led about 20 people over. Wow. Okay. And all of them, all 20 were on that front line. Yeah. You know, but, uh, but even, yeah, but even the girl that was there, you know, supposedly the uh, documentarian, remember she was originally um, uh, allegedly a CNN journalist. Well, she's yes. not, but she does on her own website, she does list that she has done um, and provided uh, services for NPR, uh, BuzzFeed, and several other, you know, mainstream and or leftist uh, publications, um, but, uh, but, not, but not CNN specifically, uh, although she was also there with John Sullivan on, on the Anderson Cooper show. 
And so Just that like she's an independent left wing reporter who's yeah 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 uh, documentarian. Yeah. And so, and so uh, there's that, you know, there's that famous scene where they're in, I think they're inside the Capitol Rotunda and he's, you know, John is screaming, I told you, I told you, you were going to get, you know, you tell me this is not the best video you've ever got, you know, best film you've ever recorded. You know, yeah. we did, we did it. I mean, just, just right there is a, enough to show that, you know, what we call Antifa has at least, infiltrated some of that you know some of the some of the violence and and whatnot but uh, yeah and and then there's you know and of course, specific names and specific groups and then there's and then there's those videos that you know obviously msnbc is just not going to show where you've got an entire room in one of the capital offices somebody they're in somebody's eye have you seen that one and then somebody's got their head stuck through with the bullhorn and they're the giving them instructions I yeah. did see that one. Yeah. And this was an entire leftist group in there. There wasn't a militia member in this. These, these were all, you know, leftist insurgents. I'm not going to say they're with Antifa, but you, you, it doesn't take much to be able to kind of identify from mannerisms, speech, the things they say. Um, that that and, woman that was on the bullhorn is not yeah. a woman you'd ever see at like a Trump rally. No. There's just no. certain styles. There's certain, yeah, certain cadences. Uh, right. That is just a... a you know, an anxious, angry, middle-aged, mm -hmm. probably teacher or something kind of woman who's yeah. you know, yelling and, 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 and organizing her, her minions kind of thing. Right. You don't really see that at a Trump, Trump rally. No. And, and eventually somebody's going to uh, cobble all of these, you know, individual videos together and show this all in one big reel, but you know, it'll never be on because, you know, because I, another one of my axioms is that if, uh, you know, NPR, CNN, New York times, don't say it well then it never happened and unfortunately most you know half at least half of america or more will never get the truth of who was in that um that crowd yeah i mean it's 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 convenient that uh first of all i think they said that their facebook was specifically going to ban anybody who had pictures and videos um from within the capital yes yes facebook um, and youtube both have um have been as soon as they go up they pull them down yeah i know i've seen some so it's basically if it's not on there then they don't have to address it. They don't have to answer to it. And it's not officially, uh, you know, part of the collective conscience of America. No. It's the Stalinization of, of uh, news and information is what we're going through right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess walk us through. You obviously had footage from, from inside, um, yep. you, you know, footage of the girl that had been shot and uh, they actually used your footage on on the news, mm -hmm. and then kind of cut up your interview to make you seem like a uh, yeah. a right wing radical. Right. Um, right. You know how has it? What has occurred since then? Um, you know they've they've mentioned attempts at arresting anybody who was at the Capitol. Um, I guess what has occurred since? You know, since Capitol Hill. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I've I've not been as anybody knows. I've not hidden my activities in any way, shape, or form that day. I mean, I was I did a broadcast that night from my hotel room and said that I was there and said that I was in there. I have not hid that one moment. But again, I wasn't participating in any way, shape, or form. Did no damage. Touched not a single thing inside or out. Not a single cop inside or out. I just was there to be honest. Yeah. Did you What's take that? a poop on Nancy Pelosi's desk? <laughs> no, that wasn't me, but, uh, but I did, I, I got, 
actually the most, I think is the most fascinating uh, footage from the hallway in her suite of offices was there. And I've got, I've got footage for which we're doing facial recognition on some people. And uh, that's a whole nother story yet to come. I haven't, I, I haven't gotten into the full writing up of that episode yet, or that just 60 seconds that I didn't even see with my own eyes, but saw, saw later. But um, what I uh, will tell you is, is that after it was all said and done, uh, I never went home. <laughs> I haven't been home since. I immediately uh, went back to Raleigh, but um, well, not Raleigh, not Raleigh proper, but somewhere outside of Raleigh. And I knew that just in case I was going to have some legal, you know, liability as a, as a result of just being in the, in the building and nobody, you know, in the first two days knew what that was going to look like, whether it was going to be some sort of, you know, uh, misdemeanor trespassing for those that just, you know, just wandered through and took pictures uh, as opposed to the people that actually did damage or fought on the battle lines or hurt people or killed somebody. Um, you know, I, I was never expectant of anything worse than a trespassing charge um, because I, there's no video evidence that I did anything because I didn't do anything other than to just document the, the, um, uh, the event as a citizen journalist. And what ended up happening was I, I hold myself away uh, somewhere for five days, did not go home and wrote that 9,500 word story and also did the first narration. And then I edited down about an hour and five minutes of, of, you know, compressed a lot of what I had down to about an hour and five minutes and then did a narration video and then got it out and posted it and put it out there everywhere. It's every, and then once that was done, I felt like, okay, um, if they, you know, if the, if, if the FBI wants to talk to me, you know, it's like, Hey, they got my number. Uh, you know, I, I've used my credit cards. I'm not hiding, you know, I'm not paying for gasoline with cash. I didn't, you know, I didn't turn my you know cell phone off or throw it away. I'm not hiding or running from anybody anywhere. Uh, but I did head out to my partner, uh, immediately, uh, after I left, uh, North Carolina and went, uh, I drove to Oklahoma, uh, to Tulsa. My partner lives out there and he was not at DC that day, but he and I then spent three full days exhaustively going frame by frame by frame through video. We've already released two analysis videos uh, of that, and we have at least two more to come. And then maybe a fifth one, if, if I find something in this other, you know, little thing I've teased about a while ago, but we've got at least um, two more analysis videos to come. And then uh, once I finished uh, up in Tulsa, then I headed to Louisiana and spent time with family. And so I haven't been home, but as I said earlier, three or four days since thanks, the day after Thanksgiving. Are, the... are all these videos, everything is on the Facebook page, the Pragmatic Constitutionalist and on the, uh, on your YouTube channel? No, there are no, the, the ones that show actual, you know, scenes from the, you know, the scrimmage line at the Capitol are on uh, a rumble. But if they, if you search for the pragmatic constitutionalist on rumble, you'll find me there. Are they also on your website? Uh, they're not on the website yet. That's just a matter of function of, we have to fix a couple of things before we gotcha. get there. Okay. So to see your stuff, go to, is it the pragmatic constitutionalist.com? 
Yeah, yeah. So if you go to the pragmaticconstitutionalist.com, that's the website. If you go to Rumble, it's all just one word, the pragmatic constitutionalist. And you'll get to see a couple of videos there that are not found anywhere else. Um, and then we have our, we're, you know, we're, we're now just, we just launched actually while I was on tour, probably just a few days before I was even with you in, in Columbus, we launched our locals page, which is a uh, Dave Rubin's version of a Patreon, you know, for free speech okay. and people like us. Um, so we're now on, we're not, we're now on locals, which is the pragmatic constitutionalist.locals.com. And that's where we're kind of now using as our central monetization platform. Great. Okay. Yeah. I just want to throw that in there because yeah, there's some you. interesting videos. I'm sure people that want to see it just so it's locked in and, and, yeah. uh, people can check it out. Um, if you go to, if you go to the Facebook page, the ones that I can show there are linked there. So the, so the YouTube, like, you know, like the YouTube interview with James Sullivan, I can show there the, the analysis I did of the crowd it's linked, it's on YouTube and it's linked onto the Facebook page. But if it, but the other two that YouTube will, you know, boot out as well as Facebook, they're on rumble. And I just had to like tell people they were there. You can't see them uh, on actually there's, I've got a, uh, yesterday I put a cute picture of a little puppy on my Facebook page. It's a little puppy. He's ever so cute. And in the text are the links to those videos. Nice. Okay. So they're there. They just not, they, you know, they just can't see them from the, the page itself. Who the hell was the, um, the Buffalo shaman guy that was there? <laughs> I, I ended up catching him in uh, three or four times in my, you know, in my camera frame. Uh, just he was, I, I never saw him inside the building, but I, I saw him out on the skirmish lines and, and I never saw him. I will, you know, like I said, I'm going to be honest about all, all of it. Um, I never saw him being aggressive towards the police. He, he walked up and he would talk to them. He would walk up and talk to them on the front line. And then at one point early on, you, there's that section of scaffolding where it kind of all broke through, you know, first and it, like the line started moving up in, you know, where they were really trying to get around the main police line. And so they tore through that canvas and then they were climbing, you know, people were just, you know, God, it was, it was, it was like, it was medieval is what it was like, you know, they were trying to scale the castle wall or whatever. And so they, they, um, uh, at one point, I've actually got him in video of, of going up into the scaffolding frame, but this was long before it broke through. And then he came back down. Uh, so he was not at all in the group of people that did, in fact, you know, breach the Capitol. Yeah, it, it, it almost felt like a photo shoot. Like it felt like, you know, when they get those protests that you get like the couple guys that have like the Confederate flag. And then like the, the crazy guy that they had, you know, in that case was the Buffalo shaman and yeah. they have like the photojournalists that are already ready, ready there to, to snap their pictures and everything. Um, was, was there a lot of Confederate flags or. Um, I'll tell you what, this is another one that should be put down, but you know, look, you, you cannot expect anything less than this from CNN, MSNBC, NPR, blah, 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 blah. All the three letter news MSN uh, organizations is I saw two Confederate flags all day long, two. And that's all you see. Once they got, once they got that one or two guys in frame, that's, that's what you're going to see more of than anything. Right. And, and that's, you know, but that's the way the MSN works. 
And, um, and, and again, I, 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 I keep saying this over and over again, and people I've actually been criticized for saying this and I'm, but I'm going to continue to say it. I have the video to prove it. I can scan through and show you a sea of 10,000 flags and you'll see one Confederate flag in 10,000 one. And then I saw one more up on the Capitol, you know, itself. And then of course there was the guy famously walking through the rotunda, you know, with the, the Confederate flag. And uh, uh, I did not see that inside, but he obviously was there. So what do you think the, um, I mean, to me, it seems like there, this is the American version of the Rorschach fire where it's a justification for a consolidation of power and for, you know, obviously internet censorship. Um, obviously it kind of messy the election where that wasn't even part of the discussion, kind of the similar tactics the, uh, the day before, uh, what do you think the ramifications are for, for the event that took place at the Capitol Hill? The, I think the worst thing is, is, uh, what I just read two days ago, which I actually read through the entire domestic terrorism bill that's being, um, floated on Capitol Hill. If you haven't seen it yet, it's not that long. It's not one of these, um, you know, 58,000 page bills. bills. No, it's, it's, it's a dozen pages, maybe, maybe not even that long, but, um, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a pre-authorization for Homeland Security and the FBI to set up their own brand new agencies, task force, uh, you know, and, and, uh, subdivisions of other three ledger agencies to, um, begin the process of, um, identifying the uh, domestic terrorists. Now, the most interesting part about this is, you, if you read through the entire document, as I did, and actually I read the whole thing twice, and the reason I read it for read it the second time is because I couldn't believe when I actually started writing. And I have I'm writing something about it right now. I just haven't published it yet. And and um, and as I began to think about it, I went, no, that that can't be right. That can't be right. And so I went back and read the whole thing again because the entire document only talks about white supremacists extreme right wing groups, uh, neo-Nazis, and it does not in one single time identify that these task forces, task forces that are now to be, you know, built within, um, as, as additional agents, sub agencies within the Homeland Security and the FBI and such are to focus on any such left wing terrorists. Not one mention of um, BLM radicals, leftist radicals, um, not one mention of it. Not the word Antifa is not in the document at all. Um, unless my mind skipped over it, but I'm telling you, it's over and over and over and over again. You see, you see the terms, you know, white supremacists, extreme right wing groups, uh, such as that. And it is focused 100, uh, let's see, what's, uh, you know, um, uh, and anti-abortion extremists, those kind of, that, that kind of verbiage is all through the document, but not one mention of left, uh, left, uh, terrorist groups of which there are obviously many. It's just kind of their way of closing the door on, you know, <laughs> as they, yeah. as they enter, um, and make sure that nobody can, can organize in a similar fashion and have to worry about, uh, you know, the obvious resistance groups that are going to take place when they have a complete and total power. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the follow-up to that particular bill, if it makes its way through Congress and signed into law, the follow-up is going to be now, look, 
the, the, the Patriot Act was an abomination in and of itself because we know that though it was it was sold to us, it was going to be used to protect us from foreign, you know, um, uh, enemies and terror, uh, terror groups such as, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda and, and such as that. We know that, it, in fact, it was used on, you know, American citizens on our own soil. In fact, it was used against every single one of us because they recorded everything that's ever been on any of our telephones. They've got it. And, you yeah. know, so, so it's been used against us already anyway. And illegally so. And then if you remember, uh, what was his name? Uh, blah, 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 lied about it on Capitol Hill and said, no, uh, who was that? It was uh, the national security guy. Anyway. Was, uh, it, was it Brennan? That's no, it wasn't Brennan. For some reason. It wasn't Brennan. It, um, I actually went and heard this guy in a lecture one time. Um, he was quite fascinating. And this was after he was caught lying that I went and heard him. Um, it'll come to me, but, uh, or maybe it won't, but anyway, so the point being is, is that there's, there's going to be now a, uh, concerted effort to use the sixth as justification to overtly let the American people know that they're going to keep us safe from those right-wing terrorists and they're going to come after us. And, you know, we, we hear it every day. We hear the, uh, the idea of what we, we already, we've already known about the lists. They were building the list of people before uh, the sixth. And then since the sixth, they're talking about, you know, deprogramming. So we're all going to be deplatformed until at least we're deprogrammed. And then they might let us back, um, you know, on the playground again, who knows. That's essentially a, a complete attack on what any of us are interested in doing. Um, which is obviously organizing an, an effort and seeing, you know, classical liberalism and American values, uh, individualism, freedom, li you know, liberty prosper. Uh, and in order to do that, we need to create the groups. We need to create the communications. And uh, this, is a, is, this is a direct attack on that to make sure that we can't pose a threat, that we can't be identified in that group consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, because any activity that we'd be doing uh, would just be classified as, as terrorism, as, you know, as, as bringing up, you know, being in support of white supremacy because we are in support of American values, you know, because right. if they identify them as racist, then obviously if we're going to take them down, then we must be the white supremacist. Look, they, they've already set the standard that silence is violence. Right. So now if we, especially if we speak so silence is violence and now you know to, to to actually speak out is now terrorism and that's exactly where they're exactly where they're they're trying to focus the the nation's um sensibilities and and good god man you know i i said it i said it sitting at your kitchen table in columbus ohio i said you know i've never been talking about covid i've never been more disappointed in americans than i've been in my life how easily you know, they took the bait, drank the Kool-Aid, whatever you want to call it. They just bent over and took it. Um, yeah. they took everything that they threw at us about COVID and, you know, uh, and then I, I just, I, I can't even believe my personal, um, you know, social media feed, uh, particularly on, you know, obviously on Facebook, because what I read every single day, having literally thousands of musicians that I, you know, I'm friends with and know and associate, have associated with over you know, decades that are on, on Facebook. 
and it is, it literally is in the thousands that I see and I, when I, the, my newsfeed of what they say about us. And when I say us, I am the single poster, most reluctant poster child of, of, you know, Trumpism that there ever was. Uh, it, it, because I never became a Trumpophile and never became a Trumpist. I never became a MAGA hat. I, I don't own a single Trump bumper sticker, never have. And, and, but based on the two options that were given us in November, and although I had already voted against him, I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016, you know, I scored, I scored uh, Trump a zero on my Liberty uh, quotient uh, back in 2016. I scored Hillary, a f- you know, 15%. And then I scored Gary like 70%, but with no chance of winning. But the other two choices were just so, you know, um, repulsive to me that I went on ahead and, and threw my vote at Gary Johnson. Fast forward to, to 2020, and now Trump had a record. So I was scoring him about 50-50. You know, I had him at about 50% on my, you know, liberty quotient scale. And and God knows Biden was, people don't know this about Biden. They, they all, they've talked about him about being a moderate. Go look at his voting record. Go look at, go look at all the agencies left and right in the think tanks and that score people. He was left of Hillary. Often, and mo- many of them, he's left Bernie. So when they talk about him being a moderate, that's just because of his good old boy kind of talk, you know, his down home, you know, middle class, you know, um, uh, you know, Joe, Joe, the plumber, almost version of, you know, the, the left wing Joe, the plumber, but, but his actual voting record, I don't listen to, I don't listen to politicians speeches. I don't listen to their voices. I, I, I go back 100% of the time and I evaluate them on what they do, not what they say. Don't give a crap what they say. And, and when it came to evaluating Biden, it was a, just a simple function of going back and looking at his voting record and, and realizing that in most cases, in most years of his career, he was voting left of both Hillary and, and uh, Bernie. And, um, and so when, given that option up against my score of Trump at a 50, 50. Okay. Well, you know, I said, okay. I'm, and I said it exactly like this. I said, I actually posted a picture of the Hollywood squares. Remember that, you know, you know, the, the, the big Hollywood squares where the, you know, the, the over the hill famous people, you know, would sit up in the, you know, in the, in the nine squares and they played tic-tac-toe by answering, you know, s- silly questions and giving silly answers. And I specifically said, Trump to block. I didn't say Trump to win. Mm-hmm. I'm voting Trump to block. Right. That's not a ringing endorsement of a candidate, <laughs> you know, but because I did pull the lever, you know, for Trump, I guess now I'm on the list. So what do you think? Um, <clears throat> we've seen, of course, fairly mainstream voices, including members of Congress calling out for lists and repercussions for uh, membership on said lists. Where where do you see, where do you see that going? What do you think is on the horizon uh, on the next, the the glorious four year reign (laughs) of uh, the Biden Harris administration? I, I hope that they're pushing that they're going to push too far. All right. And there's, as you know, there's probably already some, we're already seeing a few cracks uh, in that 
circumstance that they, you know, they're just pushing too far too fast. Both, both COVID, um, George Floyd, the election um, controversy, and then you throw in the, you know, the piece de resistance of January 6th and all of them winning all of those battles. They won them all. You know, they've won, they've won the PR battle on all of those. I mean, it was a, by, by midnight, January 6th, they had won that PR battle hands down. It was, a, it was a blitzkrieg. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They just ran over any other potential narrative or explanation for the day. And um, as a result of that, uh, they feel like that they have carte blanche. You know, they've got this blank check now to do whatever they want to do in terms of suppressing the voices from the other side in any way and, and marginalizing us. Um, obviously, you know, we saw what happened to Parler. That was bold, man. That was bold. And then to have a, you know, a judge just recently rule in Amazon's favor, you know, I'm sure that's not over with yet. There's going to be more challenges. That's going to go up the ladder um, much further, but um, I mean, they're, they're bold. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned right now that this is going to break from just being a social media blockade of voices into where, even though, you know, if you go to Gab or if you go to some of these other servers that have their own servers and their own setup, as I, as I talked about before, somebody's already got the off switch. You remember, I sat there in your, at your kitchen table. I said, you know, okay, it's, it's great, guys. We can all jump from Twitter to Parler. We can all jump from Facebook to MeWe. We can all jump from YouTube to Rumble. But I said, somebody's got the off switch on every one of those platforms, too. And boom, Parler, it turned it off. I went, oh crap, they really do have the off switch. And, and so we're going to, we're going to see a lot more conformity on people that are trying to protect their little terror. They're going to give in, they're going to give in, they're going to give in, they're going to yield. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to uh, yield to uh, uh, whether, whether it's uh, Apple or Google or Amazon or whoever controls the, you know, the, the off switch to their apps or their, you know, their internet access, whatever their, their, their servers. We're going to see a lot more yielding take place there. And then the scariest part is, is this uh, move to take the banking away from voices on the right. And that's already happened. We, we already know, you know, we already know that uh, especially as related to gun sales that, uh, you know, certain credit card, certain banks will not process credit card sales. And so um, the, the, those calls are already out there. You know, they're talking about having the, I mean, they're, they're and again, they're not, they're not hiding it, whether it's uh, media, mainstream media voices or actual, you know, Congress uh, creeps on the Hill are actually calling for banks to step up and wait until there's legislation coming down mm-hmm. for that. Because, yeah. you know, let, let, let's, let's just be, you know, perfectly honest here from, from my own vantage point is government took my job away from me last year, took it away. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the federal government, but my governor took my job away from me by executive fiat. I was not allowed to work anymore and I haven't been back to work. I don't have another contract on the calendar till April of this year. And that's if that holds. So I will have effectively been without my income for over a year at that point. So back in 
May, June sometime, we kind of scrambled. We did a quick fundraiser to expand on what the, you know, the pragmatic constitutionalist was doing. Uh, went out and bought a bunch of, you know, podcast gear and said, okay, well, let's go, let's, let's, let's redeem this time. You know, I've got all this time sitting on my butt doing nothing and let's redeem this time and try to make something of it. So we started, um, expanding what we were doing and then the election comes around and then the first thing that Facebook does is just throttle the absolute hell out of us. So we went, you know, from, we went from an average reach of between 50,000 to 150,000 people seeing my stories, posts, blogs, comments, commentary, uh, whatever I put out there per day. That was my daily average to now my monthly average is only about 50,000 in reach. So I went from 50,000 to 150,000 as a daily average to the bottom end of that as my monthly average since the election. Well, let me ask you, do you think that, do you have any hope whatsoever for, for America? Do you, I mean, in, in the sense of its people being able to speak not having your land taken away, your property taken away, uh, expropriations, um, anything. Would you would you honestly suggest uh, pulling the cord and leaving the country? Um, no. Or Man, do you there's, think no. that there's some, you know, is 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 there a path for being able to communicate with one another still, with fighting back, with building any sort of resistance, or are we just kind of biding our time while we're here? If anybody thinks that they can leave this country and find a better place, they're absolutely fools and naive. There is no place to go. We are, we are the last stand on this planet. And so we have to make our stand here. So let's just start with that premise. And if somebody wants to email me or message me and argue that point with me, I'm, I'm ready for them. I've, I've got, I'm, I'm well-traveled enough in internationally. I can, I can, tell you exactly what block the uh, IRS building is in that particular country where you think you can go. The mm -hmm. IRS building actually says in that country, the internal revenue service of the United States of America mm -hmm. in that country where you may think you can go and hide. So the, the point is, is that, is that I will tell you from a positive standpoint is that there's this, there's this whole co concept right now that's emerging. Some people are calling it a red state economy. Some people are calling it a patriot economy or whatever, where in fact there are now, it's, 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 it's festering, it's boiling to the surface right now. I would love to get involved with it uh, as quickly as possible myself. I've even thought about putting together the list and compiling them. I'm just so, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the staff and the people and the money, you know, and the time to do this, but, but, the first thing is, is begin to support one another, begin to identify in your community and elsewhere, like-minded individuals, patriots who we can um, support. We've got to buy our, you know, our goods and services from somewhere anyway, you know, as we know, we, we know that now there's a couple of phone services out there, you know, off, you know, AT&T, but remember, yeah, you can go get hook up with Patriot Mobile if you want to, but AT&T has got the off switch there, right? So there's always an off switch at some point, but there's, there are in fact, some very, very well healed people, including some billionaires that are starting to talk about building an in infrastructure um, that will be much more safe for both internet banking and, and so many other um, uh, 
industry and in so many other industries. But, um, uh, but we've got to get through, you know, we got to get through 2021 because as I said, those guys are, those guys are just, it's, it's chum in the water right now to the lefties in Capitol Hill, especially after January well, 6th. It seems like a lot of people were sitting on their hands waiting for that Kraken and for other people to do the hard work and yeah. thinking that Trump was some 40 chess player that was putting together right. this dream case, uh, obviously was never going to happen. Um, and so I'm, I am discouraged by the kind of lack of American spirit and the lack of American, I guess, clarity. Um, feels like even on, even on the right side of the fight, there's 90 different things to, that people are fighting um, yeah. and trying to go about in, in, in different ways. And there's just that lack of cohesion and that lack of, uh, you know, coordination. Um, I, I, my biggest fear is it seems like from this point forward, one would never be able to know how truly vast they are. Meaning, you know, I, I'm not convinced that Joe Biden didn't get 30% of the vote. Meaning, because yeah. we probably couldn't tell because, I mean, no sign, there's no signs to show this guy's not that popular. You could always dismiss events, lack of attendance by saying it was COVID related um, or the lack of, of video, you know, watching. But I mean, t- take the, his inauguration will address, right. um, you know, what, 100,000 views. And it got to the point that YouTube was actually deleting dislikes. Right, so right, exactly. They're going to do their best to create the perception that numbers exist that might not exist, that diminish other numbers. And, you know, it's going to be very hard. We might be at a point where 80 to 90% of people agree with us. And how would you know if you're constantly not in view of each other, if, you know, you're not, if you're kept from mainstream platforms, um, you know, you might even start to see the addition of bots and, and, you know, things that aren't even even real um from this point forward how are we even going to truly know um that we're successful that we're actually building and growing such a such a network when you know we're not going to be able to to see it or use any sort of vastness yeah yeah no and, and but that but that is one of the things that we talked about there in columbus as well was that we have to stay in touch with one other one another by any means possible any and every means possible. And that means, you know, if we got all, I know I posted this as a joke one time, but I posted a picture of, you know, a ham radios for dummies, uh, on my Facebook page. <laughs> and, and I was, you know, it was, it was, it was tongue in cheek, but it was dead serious about it. This, if that's where we're headed, that's where we'll do it. And I'll, I'll do podcasts from ham radio if I have to, uh, I don't know that we can call it a podcast if we're on ham radio, but we're, but, but you know what I mean? And then, and then, but, but, but we're not there yet. Okay. We're not there yet. And, and the, the, the first thing, as I said earlier, that I'm, I'm hoping for is that the left trips themselves up by pushing too far too fast. And because, because look, we, you and I could both right now rattle off a hundred examples of, and, and do it rapid fire of just blatant overt hypocrisies that are coming out of this administration right now. All right. So let's just, you know, I'm, I'm just going to mention two real quick. So the, so the first one, the first one is, is that we are a nation still, I think, what was the, I read it yesterday, the day before 
on either Wall Street Journal or Forbes or something, there's still like something 14 million people still can't go back to work because of COVID. Uh, something like that. 14 million. I, I'm I'm one of them. I'm one of them. My my career has basically been put on on ice since uh, March of last year, and uh, and so the first thing that the Biden administration does is signed executive orders that eliminate tens of thousands of jobs with the cascading effect of those jobs being eliminated because I don't care whether you believe in trickle down or not. You pull that kind of money from the oil and the industry sector out of communities and out of other places, the trickle down effect from a negative standpoint is going to be devastating in a lot of communities. And, and so that's the first thing that he does. So he's going to bring America, he's going to put America back to work. You know, he's going to help us recover from COVID, but his first executive orders are putting tens of thousands of people out of work in high paying, you know, uh, good tax paying jobs. So that's the first thing that goes. And then the second thing he does is he announces, uh, I think, what, what was it? What was the one today or yesterday, uh, an executive order banning travel in something like 25 com- countries, right? Yeah. So like 25 countries. Am I right about that number? 24, 23, 25, something like that. And, and yet, uh, you know, he, he also signed another order stopping uh, work on the wall. Now I'm not, I've never was a pro wall guy. I've been, I've been anti-wall since the beginning of anti-wall, probably not for the reasons that maybe you are and a lot of other people, particularly people in the libertarian um, side of the uh, equation that we, you know, some of us come from. I'm, I'm an anti-wall guy from a completely different uh, standpoint it has nothing to do because I'm not, a, I'm also not an open border guy, but the, but just the inherent blatant contradiction of, you know, uh, calling Biden himself said that Trump's um, travel bans early, early in COVID, you know, going all the way back to January, that those were xenophobic. Mm-hmm. That's Biden's words. And um, that they were racist. And now Biden is doing the same thing. And, and, and we can go and we can list these hypocrisies and these contradictions all day long. And they, and believe me, their apologists have answers for them. I've heard, you know, I've heard their answers for some of these things, but for sensible people, there are still sensible people sitting out there who vote Democrat because that's what their families always voted. And they look at that and go, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. And so if they continue to push too far, too fast, I think they're going to see more and more cracks on their side. I, th- I think you're right, but here's the problem: is I think that the new divide, the new fight, is going to be, become Biden almost on the right, and then this new far left party hmm. almost your AOCs, your um, Bernies. Uh, I think you're going to see almost a communist, socialist, openly socialist party versus the the kind of the new Democrat or the old the old Democrat. Yeah. Um, and I, that's where I'm going to see, I think we'll, we'll see the fight and almost the color revolution right there where it's like, okay, now have this character that you want to pretend that they don't want that revolution to exist when they're fine with it. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the Portland mayor when, you know, uh, you had the, the people out in the streets, their little cultural revolution, and they were yelling, shame, shame, shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, it, it was Portland, right. That had now the open, openly communist mayor. Uh, I think you're going to see something like that, except 
countrywide because let's this is going to continue obviously they're they're starting to build movements in portland and seattle um you know antifa if you will against the biden administration so when it comes to the point that people are pissed off the economy is getting destroyed people you know don't have health care right now we still wave the banner of capitalism whether as much as we know how much that's not true um the problem is going now going to become lack of health care lack of UBI, people starving in the streets. Um, and so it almost feels like Biden is the burn down guy. You burn it all down and then who builds it back up? It's yeah. not going to be the, the, it's not going to be the Patriot party. It's not gonna be the tea party. It's not gonna be the conservatives. You're not even going to see those people. They're not going to be part of the equation. Their memory hold. They're not part of the America's consciousness. You're going to have the, the new conservative party doing things the American way, still bombing Syria, Still, you know, putting, you know, not doing any kind of progressive policy. And then this new wave comes in. They're going to take to the streets. They're going to pro- at least provide an answer so that Joe dumb Americans going to go, well, I lost my job at the factory, uh, but there's this color revolution. I'll go p- participate and be a part of that and amplify that. And then, you know, the, the, the movement, it's kind of like the yellow vests. The yellow vests came about because of like carbon taxes. Then it became something else, something else. And eventually it gets hijacked by the radical left because those groups are organized and they take the movement and they turn it into their issue. Black Lives Matter is a great example. That's about, you know, uh, you know, inequality, justice, social justice, whatever. And right. then it becomes hijacked by the Marxist left. They use the, they amplify, you know, their, what they want by raising up certain voices and just using that plea as means for their kind of communist ends. Um, that's the same thing I think we're going to see with the Biden administration. He's going to play the dummy. He's going to be the resistance. He's going to go, you know, I'm, I'm still the capitalist. I'm still the doing things the American way. And I think you're going to have a true color revolution um, that, that takes place within the next two years, four years, whatever, whatever it if, amounts to yeah. be. If it happens the way that you described though, Biden's going to misidentify who the capitalists are because he's going to point at uh you know, the Bezos is and the, you know, he's going to point at big tech as capitalism. He's going to point at, uh, you know, Costco's and the Walmarts and all of the other oligarch um, corporatists, right. crony capitalists, as it were. That's who he's going to point at as the capitalist. The, the, the reality is, is we, that we cap- know that, but, yeah, but right. most people don't know that. Right. No, they don't. And that's why you and I have to say it right now. And for that fringe of the audience that are listening today that came in to criticize and, and, you know, and, uh, um, throw, you know, bombs at us either in chat rooms or wherever they're at watching right now. Uh, those, those people need to hear that. First of all, capitalism still exists and that's, what's been mostly under attack for the last year. Capitalism has been the number one target of COVID hysteria since day one, because capitalism still exists in rural America, in small town America, it still exists in the mom and pop shops because that's where real capitalism still, because those people aren't getting funding from, you know, uh, federal government subsidies and the like. And so 
uh, that's where the make it or break it entrepreneurs that risk everything and and work their way uh, into some sort of uh, upper middle class or maybe even, you know, become the, you know, the, the, the self-made millionaires of which, you know, as we know, like 86% of all millionaires in this company started with nothing. They built it themselves. They inherited nothing. And so th- th- that those are the true capitalists that are still out there. So capitalism still exists, except that it's been under attack this year in a way that it's never been under attack before. And, um, uh, it not, not only did they, did the, did mom and pop stores have to endure COVID, but then they had to endure George Floyd's aftermath and having their buildings burnt down and, and having entire neighborhoods and streets closed. My, you know, city of, of, Raleigh, North, North Carolina was one of the most vibrant, top growing, you know, cities in America and has been for 15, 20 years. And it's a freaking ghost town, downtown Raleigh now, because of those, that one, two punch they took there. But, but um, uh, we have to, we have to, we have to say these things, you know, we have to continue to say it, whether people believe it or not, because we're picking them off, man. They're, 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 they're going to see it. I mean, just like the, the unions, you know, you got, you got the, uh, uh, the executive order shutting down the, the pipeline and uh, the unions now that supported Biden are pissed off at him. The, the native American tribes in New Mexico, they're pissed off at him. Tens of thousands of jobs are being sucked out of the economy uh, because of these uh, new executive orders, and he's pissing people off that supported him. Yeah, well, th- those people don't need to worry. We're going to go ahead and uh, recruit them into the military so we can deploy them to Syria <laughs> to help guard the Syrian oil fields. So, you know, we'll, we'll just repurpose that economic loss to somewhere else. Well, and, and it, it, exact, and you you bring up a great point, right? Because if we lose our energy independence, well, then we have to go defend those oil fields again, don't we? Right. Or at least use that as the justification for yeah malfeasance we're you know dabbling with over there at that time. So, so get to, to lighten the mood a bit and to hmm. borrow on a on a meme that's been working its way around. So if anyone who's right of Bernie Sanders is going to be uh you know an insurrectionist or domestic terrorist, <laughs> when do you guys think the CIA will start providing us with uh, Toyota pickup trucks and small arms? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I know where I know where you're coming from. <laughs> I don't even have to answer that question, do I? Um, yeah, man, uh, it's the the absurdities are uh, immense. They're too many to list. They're beyond description, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm less worried about the CIA obviously right now than I am worried about uh, our domestic situation you know it's it's uh you know the 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 whole the whole idea of um you know defending the constitution against enemies foreign and domestic was always more important to you know look over borders and we look because we do live in a dangerous world let's 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 be honest about that that danger in the other parts of the world has not gone away that's why i've never been an open border libertarian but my entire focus is on what's going on in my own neighborhood now. And that's where we have to do. That's what we have to do. You know, they say all politics is local. Well, guess what? We, we, we got to reorganize. We got to go back and we've got to, we got to win back, win back at the school board. We got to win again um, back in, you know, local politics. We've got to somehow, some way strip those city councils in those mayoral mayorships away from the left because they own them all. You know that, right? They own them all. 
you know, of, of any cities of any size. And um, uh, I think it's something like um, what 34 or 35 states legislatures are uh, completely controlled by, you know, the GOP. But um, you get down to the city level, man, that's where that's where the damage is being done. Not that the GOP has helped us a lot at the state level. Yeah, I really don't trust much with no, that GOP. No, no. They, they feel um, closer to controlled opposition than a, a true alternative option. I mean, what's, what's the saying? The only thing that the GOP and the Democrats disagree on is the rate at which a government should grow. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's, and that's ultimately the way it plays out, but you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's, it's either we're running off the cliff at, at 65 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, but either way we're going to go off the cliff. Right. And, and that's, that's a, that's always been kind of the um, analogy there, but, but uh, there, there are still some stark differences. Uh, there's still some people uh, certainly more so on the, um, on the conservative slash, uh, GOP slash, uh, Liberty side of the equation with some common sense. I mean, you saw the way, you saw the way, uh, uh, Rand Paul went after George Stephanopoulos yesterday. That was pretty epic. Loved it. He, he drew a line in the sand and said, no, you're not crossing that. And you're not calling me a domestic terrorist. Yeah. Well, and I've also seen the, the, um, manifold attempt at hit pieces the collective outcry from all leftist media over you know the the clutching of pearls that how how could mr paul dare to be so uh whatever violent or uh i don't know i, I can't even summarize them but yeah co the collective gasp that he might in some way oppose this uh hostile takeover of culture and every branch of government Right. Yeah, well, because you're not supposed to have free speech anymore. And he was exercising not only uh, speech, but his opinion. And he was also exercising um, uh, his, I mean, the way he called Stephen Office out and said, look, you know, you're supposed to be a journalist. What are you doing taking the other side? You don't even care what I have to say. That's not your job. And it was, it was fantastic the way he called him out and said, you're not doing your job. You are a mouthpiece for the other side right now. And, and um, that's exactly what, I mean, look, I, I got fact-checked by, I'm to the point now you realize I, I don't, I don't care now, but I, I know that I'm going to lose my Facebook page. So we've rebuilt on MeWe and we got, a, you know, finally got Gab set up yesterday. It took us forever because they're, they're so over, well, their servers are so overwhelmed. Finally got Gab up yesterday. Uh, we're on Rumble, as I said, mentioned before, our primary monetization platform is now Locals, but um, the, uh, the the most recent fact check I got from Facebook was an opinion that I wrote. I, it was an opinion. I didn't. I, I wasn't quoting facts or contradicting anything. And you know what they fact checked me with? An opinion piece by a mainstream journalist. They didn't even fact me fact check me with a news source. They fact check my opinion piece with their opinion piece and boom, throttled me even more. I've got sort of a, a standing game where whenever I see those fact check things, I always try to uh, figure out why and read the fact check. And my, my little game is to see how often the fact check actually corroborates the uh, item or the article in question, but slaps <laughs> a, you know, missing context or false or misleading label. 
right? And when you yeah. read on it, you know, the, the headline uh, statement by Steve Baker is, is rendered as false by our fact check. And then you read down it. While it's true that everything he said did occur, uh, if you frame it a certain way, we feel that it's misleading. So that's why we've chosen to label it as false. Right, because of the way it was framed. Yeah. The, my One of my early ones uh, post-election, because it's just been, a, you know, a, a, just a series of them since the election. But, but on, if you, do you remember there was, there was a particular event that was happening in the Pennsylvania uh, election count. And I, I don't recall the specific event right now. I'd have to go back and dig through three months of, of post, but there was, there was this thing that I found hard to believe that was making its way through the right wing, you know, pro Trump media. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even post the article. I took a screenshot of the alleged um, accusation. And then because I like, you know, I I like to have a discussion with the people that read my, my stuff. So I, I actually said the words, I said, is this true? Does anybody, can anybody corroborate this information? I I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Bam. That was the one they deactivated my ad account and said that I posted false information. And I'm no guys. I asked a question <laughs> of my followers that read the thirty-five thousand people that read my stuff every day. Is this true or not? I, you know, because I wanted people to tell me because I couldn't find corroborating information, and so I got fact-checked for it. And and my ad count has been deactivated. And and by the way, that particular one earned me a permanent ad count deactivation. So I can't even buy ads to tell people where we are now, which is kind of clever on their part. <laughs> the um, there's there's a lot of things that I I see that that I guess our side of the fight needs to start doing. Um, I feel like there's been a major major dereliction of duty. Um, there's there's I think we still like our comforts. We still want everything to be easy. Um, I think everybody hopes that they can just go to parlor or go somewhere and still just kind of post memes and just scream out into the open air and be an observer of a lot of things that are taking place, but there's just not quite there for whatever reason, as far as we get, there isn't that thing that mobilizes people that says, I'm going to be somebody that reaches out. I'm going to be somebody that, that, um, you know, does things actively. I'm an active participant. I'm going to do the reading. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take it upon myself to um, honor the sacrifice of my, you know, my forefathers and my ancestors and the people that, that built the country. Um, there's still this sense that it's good enough. I don't want to rock the boat. I'll go along with things. And I don't think there's an appreciation for just how bad things can get, how quickly it's going to get there. Um, and just how how urgent this moment in in time is, because there's going to be a um, you know we're going to pass that event horizon where it's impossible to to uh, have a little organization to network to to reach out outside of a certain circle, um, you know. Imagine yeah, we, living we in have, China right yeah. now. Right. What's the process? If I had a million people, I don't think I could flip China. If I had no. 100 million people, I couldn't flip China. I don't know the number of people I could have that would flip China. And so there's a certain point between now and China 
where it's impossible, where you better just suck it up and go along with it because that's your, you know, your forever purgatory. Um, you can't, you can't flip a hundred million people in China because they're unarmed. I don't know if the difference now is armed or unarmed though. Well, uh, let me, let me tell you, here's, here's what we have to, and we have to be so, you know, effing careful with our language right now. But the bottom line is, is that if we're going to storm the gates, as I mentioned earlier, we have to storm the gates of our local school board. We have to storm the gates of our local city council. And I don't I mean, think, we would, I think we have to withdraw from them because they're so corrupt. They're so hmm. cancerous. Um, I don't think, I don't think your vote matters. I think a, a vote can be corrupted. I think we've seen that in Chicago for hundred fucking years. Um, I wouldn't trust a, you know, I don't trust I don't, voting. I don't, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't trust. I don't trust my own vote to be counted any longer. I don't trust. I would just remove students from, I wouldn't go to public schools at all. Well, all I think right. it's a horrible model. And I, I think a better, I yeah. think just, just removing ourselves from these institutions is, is probably less energy and effort um, than trying to I know, but, but here's, here's the, here's the only downside of that. And by the way, I agree with you. I have been for years and years and years and years saying, get your kids out of public school. And, and, and I can sit down and financially show most middle-class families, how they can afford to do that and how they can either homeschool or get them into private schools. If they're, if they're willing to listen, you know, if they're willing to make sacrifices um, uh, from some of their, you know, their, their luxuries and wants that they have and, and live off of needs for the sake of the future of their children. So I agree with you in that regards, but I will say this is that we're not going to be able to hide on our little islands. We're going to have to be brave and we're going to have to, the Patriots are going to have to come out in numbers and let them know that, you know, they may not, they may not change. They may not back down. They may not change a single vote by us being there, but, but we have got to let them know that we're watching. And, you know, and look, this is one of the things that they took out of context when I did the, when I did the interview on the, the CBS affiliate there in uh, DC that day, when they used my footage and, um, and made me feel all important for a moment was that they had asked me a question about my support for what was happening at the Capitol. And then they cut, they, you, you could hear, I mean, it was, it was the most unbelievable. It was like, it was such, it was the worst edit job that a major, you know, TV station could make. And it was this awful cut. And I was like hundred percent. Well, what they didn't hear me say in the full context of that was, was that the spirit of what was going on that day, and what caused this to happen? And I, I actually, I they, they had the they had the Capitol Dome framing me up in, in one shot. And I pointed over, you know, over my shoulder, and I pointed to the Capitol. I said, I said, you know, there's a darkness emanating from that building right now. It's full of liars. And I said, and I said, I actually said these words. I said, you understand that the next time this crowd comes back, they're not coming back with Trump flags. And I meant it, you know, because because. They're, if they continue to push and they push too hard and they push too fast, as I said earlier, that's what they're going to drive us to. But we're not there yet. I, I'm not there yet. Uh, I, you know, I, everybody's trigger point, and uh, uh, no pun intended, is different, is different from the next person's. Um, we talked about that a little bit that night at your place. But the, um, everybody's, everybody's line in the sand is different. And, and I'm not there yet. But I'm also a man at this point in my life where they're, they've taken almost everything from, they've taken my career from me. 
And, you know, when, when you, when you take everything from that many people, you create it, you, you're creating a dangerous situation for yourself already. And that's what they've done. That's exactly what they've done. I can definitely I don't see that. And I think what it'll end up justifying what it is that they're trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think one of the reasons why in, in part we need to learn, we, I think we need to accept the L. I think we realize that, you know, the long march of their own has can persisted for decades and we, we saw it come to a head. They, they uh, were fighting liberalism for, for a century since, you know, the beginning of the progressive era. And mm-hmm. we've been enjoying the fruits of a liberal society and we didn't pay attention to the responsibilities necessary to maintain our rights. And we now live in their territory. They own that. They own all the institutions and they're aligned with governments from the local to the state to the, to the, uh, and I mean, collectivists, I don't mean GOP or or Democrats, collectivists, people in favor of centralization. Progressives, however you want to. I think, I think one of the, I think it's important that we rephrase ourselves um, because this is one of the things that, that communists do, socialists do, whatever you want to call them. They don't just l- put a label on themselves and say that this is what I am. And I think we have a tendency to just be raw, raw. This is what I stand for. This is my position. This is my label. Um, I, th- I think we need to kind of reorient ourselves and you know, be a little bit more subtle, be a little bit more in the conversation because we, whether we like it or not, we exist on their platforms. And I don't think we should just do this thing where we all go to parlor, we all go to Gab, we all go wherever, because if we don't exist in their faces, they can't see us and they won't hear us scream. They won't know anything. Um, so we need to be in, we need to be there. We need to be a pipeline of information for people, no matter what that takes. And if that means being as vanilla as possible, um, as not being so clear with our agenda, with not being so clear with our with our vision, um, maybe that's what we what we need to do. Um, and maybe rephrase things like we're, we're, we're in favor of decentralization and people, you know, you might be in favor of centralization, um, but just be still present on those platforms. doesn't mean we can't be talking to one another. doesn't mean we can't be on parlor on gab, but I think one of the things we need to do is like solo, like Alinskyites, we got to put on the suit and tie and we got to still exist within their infrastructure. Um, you know, if you work at a, at a place, then, then you know, and it's woke and it's going through all their, their HR nonsense, then we still need to, you still need to be in that position, even if it's, even if it's miserable. Um, you know, I, I don't think the, the path to victory is just get enough mad people and then go storm something. Um, I, I think it's going to have to be um, doing the work and having the conversations and being a big, vast network. Mm-hmm. And our activity is going to have to become more subversive. Well, it's you know, I've I felt that I've felt that way for years. That's why I, I labeled myself uh, 11 years ago, the pragmatic libertarian was because I believed in instituting a reverse progressivism type thing. But it had worked for the progressives for 100 years plus. And so why not just turn it back around instead of being a, a, a flame throwing libertarian is doing exactly what you're talking about is progressively start turning the tide back the other way, no matter how long it takes. I just never dreamed that we would wake up today and be on the precipice. I didn't think this was going to happen in my lifetime. People ask me all the time, why do you waste so much time writing all this political shit? Blah, 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 blah. And I always, my answer was very simple. I always said, I do it for my kids. You know, I do it for the, 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 the country that I'm going to leave for my children, my grandchildren. 
Yeah, now you're doing it. Now you're doing it for you. No, that's exactly right. I'm doing it for me because yeah. because or am I going to make it through this year? Right. Without you know being either in handcuffs in prison or shot for for you know for using words and being labeled a domestic terrorist. They're already talking about deprogramming me. They're already talking about putting me, you know, putting me on a list. We, we, we've seen that movie, man. We've read that book. Yeah. We know where that's I mean, going. I th so I think one of the issues, it's kind of like paper, rock, scissors, where, uh, you know, paper beats rock, but I don't think rock can then beat paper. Uh, commun communists do well in a liberal society, not vice versa. They're, they're well aware of what it took to, take power, uh, to be subversive. And that's why we see these, these laws on the books is because they have entered and now they're closing the door behind them. It's like a business. You become a big business and then you bottleneck the competition. Um, that's what they're going to do. So we can't, maybe can't do things as easily um, as they were able to do to us. Um, that, that's why I think it's almost more about building something ourselves that's as isolated and insulated while still existing on theirs because we need to be a pipeline for their people. But I don't think we flip anything. I don't think we deal with their, their corrupt um, trash institutions. I think we need to build the foundations and we need to build stuff ourselves, our own schools, our own entertainment, our own infrastructure, our own banking systems. Yeah. And honestly, they're going to go after every fucking one of them. They're going to go after crypto. That's why you already see in yeah. Janet Yellen on day one, uh, right. talk about how Bitcoin is only used for illicit activity and we need to go after it with the Fed because we want our own global centralized currency, whatever the hell they want. Um, and so the, we need to build while at the same time know that they're going to be attacking every little piece, every little thing that that we build. Unfortunately, it's it's the only way um, that I think we can be that that we can even have any sort of sanity. Well, I, I believe in I actually believe in that concept of, of you know two Americas. Um, the remember the vice presidential candidate uh, from North Carolina, John Edwards. He had that was his message with, you know, but he was he meant it in a negative context is that we live in two Americas, you know, there's the America of the haves and the America of the have nots. Yeah. And uh, obviously, obviously being on his side of the uh, political aisle, he was the champion of the have nots um, before he uh, uh, cheated on his cancerous wife and <laughs> his wife with cancer rather, who was dying of cancer. And then, you know, uh, and when, the first time I ever heard him say that, I went, hmm, two Americas. Yeah, I'm good with that. Let's, let's, build, yeah. let's build our own economy. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally good with that. It has nothing to do with the haves and the have nots. In fact, in fact, I, I never published this, but I, I, have, a, I have a skeletonized um, um, article that I wrote several years ago during the, um, the healthcare debate. So this is 10 years ago now, I guess, when Obamacare was rolled out about um, two healthcare systems running parallel to one another. I actually kind of, I designed it, I, you know, designed these two healthcare systems running parallel and, and you could, you, you get to pick which one you wanted to be in, you know, you got to be in the, you know, uh, universal healthcare system or you got to be in a free market system and you couldn't change. You could, but, but you could only change on it with a five-year application. So if you wanted to move from the free market healthcare system to the government healthcare system, it was a five years after application before you could move over and vice versa. So that, that pretty much dealt with any pre-existing conditions and you couldn't just jump back and forth um, and take the best of both worlds. But, but um, obviously much more complicated than that. 
but I've, I've always been okay with the, the, the two Americas idea and, and a great, you know, uh, you're, you, they, they point to smaller population countries like, uh, you know, um, Sweden with 10, 10 million people or Denmark or, or wherever is the ideals. Well, great. You've got half the country, right? You got, you've got, uh, 80 million that voted for Biden. Okay. You guys all go do your thing. You got parallel, parallel banking, parallel healthcare, parallel to this. And you go do your thing. Let us do the thing. Land of the free, home of the brave. Y'all go be brave in that system and I'll be brave in my system. And, and have always been okay with that. Um, in, in reality, you know, they're not going to let us do that unless somebody no, says, they, won't even let us, they probably won't even let us homeschool in the next couple of years. I would no, imagine. no, you know, except That's for the form of radicalized, radicalizing you know, yeah. kids. And, you know, and that's going to be some people's trigger They're you know, no, you're not going to tell me what I can do and can't do with my kids. And they're going to go down in a, in a blaze of glory. So everybody's got that's, their different trigger. So I'm, I'm planning a trip to Mexico where I'm going to try at least stay for a, for a brief sabbatical. Uh, hmm. And if it goes all right, then uh, might be here longer. That's why I mentioned <laughs> earlier about like, what were your, what were your thoughts on uh, yeah. leaving? I do believe, now I do believe the idea that it's a, it's temporary. Like there's no, there's no alternative to America. Once America goes, the world is the world is a satellite of China and the UN and you know the IMF, the World Economic Forum. Um, it's just a matter of where is it worse? You know, uh, I like the idea of staying on a place that's just less infrastructure because maybe the technocracy is just not as bad. And at least where it currently is, you don't have the woke culture there. Um, they're kind of libertarian on accident just because their government's so incompetent. Um, not because of any kind of like ideological framework or anything. Um, but homeschooling was another thing where we're, it's much easier to be a home to homeschool in Mexico. And it looks like the future of homeschooling is a lot, a lot better there than say the United States. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's, I, I think there is an argument to be made, not that the, the, the final battle is America. That's once that goes, the, the fate of the world is, is, is known. Um, but if there are places to go for the individual, even if you're still a part of that fight, um, I think there is an argument to be made that there are better alternatives to the United States, whether you look at, you know, being obviously the amount of debt that, that you know, yeah. that America owes. And yes, you're to, to get off the books for that debt is, is extremely difficult um, to, to not be a citizen anymore is extremely difficult. Um, but some of the things I, th- I you don't have to deal with property taxes, um, uh, the, the hidden costs associated with any sort of business, starting a business, mm-hmm. buying things. Um, you don't see that nearly as much in a place like uh, a place like Mexico. Um, yeah. And so I do think there is an argument argument to be made, especially to the person that wants to homeschool uh, and wants to live off one income, especially if you're, if you're working remotely or um, if you're an investor, um, you know, I, th- I, th- I think it's, uh, I think people should at least consider it because, um, I think we know the direction that things are going to take in the United States yeah. and uh, I don't know. Well, you know, there's, there's this other thing, uh, there's this other aspect is the fact that we're doing this uh, broadcast right now and recording this podcast is that you're on that list too. You're, you and I are much further down the list than, you know, some of the big, the big voices, but um, we're on that list. And once you start ex, the start, the process of expatriating out of here, 
there's a there's a little IRS law. I think it was passed in it was either it was either ninety uh, seven or it was somewhere between ninety seven and ninety nine, nineteen ninety seven ninety nine. That basically said, as deemed by the secretary, if they deem, they don't even have to prove it. If they deem that you have left the country um, for the purpose of um, not evading, but avoiding your tax obligations to the, you know, the IRS, the federal government, then they have the right to, to impose that on you for a period of 10 years afterwards. And then depending upon the extradition treaty, they can ex extradite you if you refuse to pay. If you're in a non-extradition country, then you're trapped in that in, in those borders for the rest of the time. Because if you cross it anytime, anyplace, anywhere in the world where there's an extradition treaty, because it's actually in the code now, the IRS themselves have their own extradition privileges now throughout the world and various, uh, most jurisdictions now. And so, uh, you know, so once we get out there and we start talking about taxes and we start talking about freedom and we start talking about patriotism and we start talking about liberty and libertarianism and all these things that we've just, we briefly chatted about and, and glossed over here today and which, and then of course you and I both done much longer versions written and otherwise um, about the very specific incidences are in um, uh, issues once they deem that we have left for those reasons. And so I say, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. And um, uh, the best thing to do in my mind is to make that last stand here by whatever you know means necessary. And we're going to, you know, disagree and agree on something on some ways to do that. Obviously we've done that tonight, but uh, the best thing to do is to, um, find out what our line in the sand is and maybe pull it back just a little bit, just a little bit. So we don't get over anxious like those guys did on Capitol Hill, you know, on the sixth. Um, because when in the heat of that moment, man, it's easy to let it go. I, I'll tell you, I, I felt it. I felt that pull. It's, it's an amazing thing. The psychology of the mob and you feel it, especially when you feel the way we feel about what goes inside, goes on inside that building. And, um, um, is, you know, it was grace of God and a little bit of common sense that kept me out of the fray because it was, it would have been easy to, to let go. You think it was still fair to say that it was controlled on their part, meaning like there was no threat to a Senator or congressperson. I wouldn't they say kind of know this is the, the course it was going to take and they yeah. got their stand down orders and, right. you know, I wouldn't say that there was no threat, but they certainly, there was a moment when the stand down order happened and it was unbelievable. I mean, it really was. I have up close personal videos of cops just walking around on their, they're, they're like their cell phones. They're just like heads down. Crowds are just moved or streaming into the building itself. Now the doors have been thrown open from the inside, by the way, from yeah. the inside, the doors have been thrown open. There's just lines of cops and some of them are just standing there on their cell phones. They're not even watching the crowd. They, it was like facade, facade, theater, theater, charade, charade, two hours, stand down. Cops jumping up their phone. And then the shot happened inside the Capitol and then everything changed. The guns came out then, then, the, then they all drew down and it was over. 
they started clearing. Was it a capital? Was it a capital police officer that that killed that girl? That's what they say. It was a, it was plain closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was somebody actually specifically defending the house chamber. So he, yeah. you know, whether whether he was ordered, I'm not going to get into conspiracies about you know this was you know, a diversion or whatever for the guys that were stealing Pelosi's you know uh, secret laptop, blah blah blah. But um, um, unfortunately, the most um, nervous I've been is the girl that was arrested for the uh, laptop. Have you seen the photos of her? The girl that was arrested for stealing Pelosi's laptop and and saying that she was going to sell it to the Russians. Okay, all right, just start there. The girl who stole Pelosi's laptop, pasty, white, underfed, Antifa-looking girl, if you've ever seen one, openly says she's going to sell the laptop to the Russians. Does that sound like a Trump supporter? Mm. Okay, let's just remember, let's just start there. All right, every single photo of her inside the building, I'm in that photo. No shit. Oh, yeah, could show it to you. Don't have it here, right? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in every one of those photos. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, and, and you're just blasted across CNN and uh, Fox News and everywhere. Every every single photo they showed of her, I'm in that photo. Um, I don't know if you can see this or not, but there she is, and that's me with my red Yorktown. <laughs> hat on <laughs> right behind her oh my and, that, and that's the the fox news crying underneath it and then there's another one of uh you know like on cnn or something as well i've got i've got all the screenshots and <laughs> saved all the videos to all of those moments you might you might want to reconsider coming to mexico just for different reasons <laughs> <laughs> hey you know what like i said i'm not gonna run i'm not gonna hide i haven't hit anything that i did that day and i'm not going to start now you know uh i i i understand the difference between being a an accredited journalist uh that has been you know issued a badge by cnn or some other news agency uh, there were also journalists in the building that day that work for, con- you know, that, that's, that's their job. They, their job is they cover Congress, uh, photojournalists and, and people that work for the various news agencies that were trapped in that bill. They were in there getting the story themselves when it all went down. Um, and then there were some, there were some news crews. There, the, 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 what was the British news crew, ITN went in there and they did a hell of a story. They, it's one-sided, but man, they got some great footage and very professionally done and edited and, and it was a professional news crew that followed them in. They weren't, they weren't sanctioned in there, but they had the badges, you know, so they went in. And then there were people like me that were doing nothing but covering the story. Now, there was, of course, was a, there was an ass load of tourists out there. That's all they, that's all they ended up being. They, they were just, they were just, you know, oh my God, look, we're in the Capitol and they're walking around and they're, you know, it, it, and, and they didn't do anything wrong. They weren't fighting in the skirmish line. Just all of a sudden the doors were open. The cops stood aside and it's just this massive crowd of people going in. They didn't know not to. And by the way, there's no sign on the door that says do not enter. Not on one single door. Now there's some people that broke in some windows and broke in some doors and busted some stuff up and crawled through. We've seen it. We've seen the videos of that, but the vast, vast, vast majority of those Trumpsters that went into that building that day, they were just like, Oh, wow. We can go in. Oh, cool. And they just got in line and went in and, you know, did a little bit, you know, a little bit of videoing and walked around and, uh, you know, chanted USA, USA, whose house, ours house, you know, there was all these chants going on. 
But, um, but then there were some people just like me that, that were there doing nothing but covering the event and took this, you know, followed the story where the story went. And that was, that was, you know, that's what I did. And, um, and then, you know, uh, I ended up getting very, um, sad, uh, but up close, uh, footage of, um, Ashley Babbitt being wheeled out, I actually walked right beside her while they, while they were working on her. She was about six feet from me on my left. And then, um, uh, and I was exiting the building at that point, I was actually being escorted by a very, um, kind and gentle female capital cop who came up to me. I was by myself, uh, in a, in a, um, lower hallway and she came up and took me by the arm and she said, uh, sir, can I lead you safely out of the building? And I, you know, she was a lot shorter than me and I looked down at her and I said, do I need to be laid safely, safely out of the building? She said, yes, sir, you do. And so as we're walking down this hall towards the exit door, she kept asking me, she asked me three times. She said, sir, do you feel safe? And I'm like, oh yeah. And then she asked me again, sir, do you feel safe? So when she asked me the third time, she said, do you feel safe now? I said, do you feel safe? And she went, no. And right then I realized she was trying to divert the reason for the weird questions was she was trying to keep my attention over here because we were getting ready to walk beside the girl who was, had been shot, who was being, you know, worked about the, the commotion was too loud. She couldn't keep my attention on her. And I turned my head and I looked over here and, and I thought it was a guy. You couldn't tell because of the blood. And even though they had their shirt off, her shirt off, you know, their, their hands were all over her chest and pushing on, you know, and, and, and trying to resuscitate her. And, um, um, and I, of course I looked back over at the cop and I said, uh, who shot him? And they said, she said, she said, we did. I said, why'd you shoot him? She said, he pulled a gun on us. And of course, that's what's going through their radios. They had no idea. You know, you know, that confusion of the moment. They, there are hundreds of cops. They didn't know what had happened. They didn't know who pulled first, who did what, whatever. But they're, you know, they're just the confusion of the moment. And, um, and so not only, she thought he was a guy too. She didn't even know it was a girl that was shot. Yeah. She said, actually, quote, he pulled a gun on us. Yeah. So she takes me to the exit door and said, uh, you know, have a good day or whatever. It was kind of a weird thing as well. And so I, the door that I went out, I was actually inside of a police barricade completely, you know, with the, with the, the, the bike rack barricade and the cop line and everything. I'm inside with the door. She let me out. I'm inside the barricade. I look around and just as I'm walking out the door, the EMS are wheeling the gurney in and all the, you know, the, the EMTs are, are pulling, pulling this gurney in. And so I just kind of looked around and nobody was paying attention to me. So I went and got right in front of that door. If you've seen the video and I just cambered up right there in front of that door because I knew that, um, the, whoever the guy that had been shot was going to be wheeled out that door as well. And, and so I cambered up and, and it's, it's just surreal. Okay. First of all, I'm inside the police line and nobody's bothering me. Not one cop says a word to me. And, and inside my camera frame, you can see them walking by and they're just, they're seriously, they're walking by me on their phone, just like this as they move by me. It's just bizarre, man. It is bizarro world. And so, um, I wasn't out there 30 seconds and the door kicks open. And then about 20 seconds later, the, the gurney comes out and man, they got he heavily armed secure, you know, guys, automatic rifles, uh, 
in, in front of her. And then she comes out and that's when I see it's a girl. And it was pretty, because I could actually see her. She had no shirt on. I could see it was a girl, but I could also see her face really close up. And that was the first time I realized it was a female. And as soon as it was over, I actually texted because I'd gotten separated uh, from the guy that I was with. And uh, I texted him and said, hey, you know, shots fired. Girl's been hit. She's not going to make it. Because, I, I mean, I've seen death and I knew she was gone. As soon as they wheeled her out, I went, holy crap, she's not coming back from this. And, uh, um. And I, you know, I made the mistake, unfortunately, of walking by a film crew and they were, they were everybody now, everybody's getting it over their radios and they're going, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, shots fired, blah, 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 you know, and, and they're all, so the, the, the actual legitimate quote unquote legitimate news people are, are uh, trying to figure out what's going on. And I heard, I heard this film crew talking about it and I said, oh yeah, I got footage of it. And they're like, what? I said, oh yeah, just got it. And can we see? said yeah so they all gather you know the cameraman and the 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 news the the field reporter all got around my phone and they're looking at me and i'm going they're like going holy shit can we can we can we use that I said yeah i don't care should have charged them well i i i actually have an agent now so <laughs> but uh but i did give them that footage yeah you might need to get john, john sullivan's lawyer too yeah yeah well <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's more the DA in that example. Yeah. But, uh, anyway. so, speaking of two Americas, I think that's the biggest thing for me from the, the Capitol protest, riot, you know, insurrection, whatever, call it what you will. Um, but the, the videos coming out of that are so strikingly contrasting to one another, right? You'll, you'll see one snippet of video that looks like a very aggressive uh, you know, riot line, they're, they're fighting with police, they're, they're trying to push through barriers, things like that, etc. And then you see another bit of footage from, as far as you can tell, the same building, the same day, uh, maybe a slightly different location. And it, it looks like a guided tour through the, uh, you know, rotunda or stuff like that. Yeah. They're uh, calmly walking between velvet ropes and oh, oh do you see that? Oh, that's kind of neat. And it, it just seems such a bizarre blend of stuff from just your your run-of-the-mill uh whatever protest attendees kind of meandering about the building and then in the other end fairly violent looking clashes between uh, capitol police and protesters yeah. and there and there were violent clashes inside i didn't uh actually get any of that uh, because uh at the point that i you know for, first of all as, as i mentioned before when the doors were thrown open and the crowds all started moving in, I was still down on the, on the police line and, 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 um, taking video down there. And I look up where those, where those, where the scaffolding was and where there had been a battle line inside and up in the scaffold. Like I said, it was really medieval, like, you know, you know, they were climbing the castle walls or whatever. And, and, and all of a sudden it's just this free flow of humanity to the top. There's just, they're, they're going to the top. And I'm like, okay, I'll get in that line. And so I, I, you know, I was at the tail end of it, but I went up there and by the time I got up to the, to the next level, which was actually the kind of the main floor of the Capitol building itself on the inside, there's, there's a, there's open doors and people are just streaming in. I mean, they're just, it's, it's like you said, it's tour, it's tourist time. And the cops are just standing there on their phones. They're chatting with each other. There's, they're all, they're all armed. This didn't have to happen. Not a single person had to enter that building. 
And they're just, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just a, a day of tourism in the capital at this point. And, and then there, as we've seen, there were some actual battles going on inside the Capitol building. Uh, I never saw a single one of those by the time I was escorted out because as soon, you know, that was kind of my MO. I wasn't, I, I wasn't disobedient or, or confrontational with any law enforcement whatsoever of any branch or any agency. But uh, when the girl said, may I, you know, safely escort you out of the building? I'm like, well, do I need to be? And she said, yes, sir, you do. I said, okay. You know. I wasn't going to, I'm not going to argue with them. Just, uh, you know, I take the same attitude about wearing a mask. I walked into a, you know, I walked into a coffee shop just the other day and immediately they were all over me about the mask thing. And they said, uh, you know, we'll give you one. I said, no, that's all right. I just turn and walk out the door. I'm not going to wear one. And, um, but I'm not going to fight over it either. And so when she asked me to, you know, can I escort you out? I said, yeah, that's fine. So I allowed her to escort me out. And, and, Apparently, there were a lot of people inside that did not take that approach, as we know, because we've seen the we've seen the skirmish lines on the inside of the building as well. I just I never got into that. But I will tell you, one of my most interesting moments was right after the right after the 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 gunshot, when the guns came out, when the guns came out, everything changed inside. All those guys that were standing around talking on their phones at that point, they got their guns in their hands now. Did they make it clear that they were given stand down orders? Nobody, nobody ever said that, that it it was in my earshot, but it was all too obvious. I mean, because look, these guys operate on a hierarchy command and control situation. Anyway, they're not going to first, first of all, they weren't going to go stand on that line and take that abuse unless they were ordered to. Yeah. Nobody's going to put themselves in. And let me tell you something. This guy's got hurt, man. I I saw him. I saw him get hurt. And and um, they're not going to go do that of their own volition. So they had orders to do that. And then all of a sudden they had orders not to do that. And yeah. then one, then all of a sudden, because they were ordered not to resist, they pulled their phones out. You know, I, I assume that, you know, the guys were checking in with their families or their wives or whatever and saying, Hey, I'm okay. I know you've been seeing us on TV. They're probably all texting their wives or calling them and uh, their families or mothers or whoever. And, and, um, uh, and then there was a gun, a gunshot inside, which I did not hear, um, but it was obvious when it all changed inside, and all of a sudden now they're all drawing. Down. They've all, they've all, you know, <laughs> they've all got their weapons in their hands now, and uh, uh, and there was tear gas going off inside now, and they're they're making an effort to start clearing the building out. But they're also, they were scared. These cops were scared. They were, they didn't know. They, they at this point, you know, there, there hadn't been any guns, gun, you know, fire outside. You know, they'd been, they had been, uh, you know, had bars thrown at them. And obviously somebody had had a fire extinguisher thrown at their head and killed, unfortunately. And, um, uh, and then there was, you know, there were guys that were hit with poles and bats and hockey sticks and, you know, um, all other manner of projectiles. So there, there was a lot of that going on, but nobody had pulled a weapon on them yet. And so when they, when a shot happened, they didn't know that that shot came from one of their own. Just that they're, at this point, their radios are going off. There's call. You can hear it on my video. There's calls for triage. There's tra- calls for, you know, we need you on this, this floor, blah, blah, blah. And, and guys are going everywhere. All of a sudden, you see the actual ATF coming in with the automatic rifles now. It just, everything changed at that point and they were scared because they didn't know now okay crap the real guys are here 
this isn't just a bunch of good old proud boys outside, you know, beating us up. Somebody's pulled a gun. And so they were, they were legitimately afraid. Well, this is amazing that uh, at the end, at the end of the day, you essentially were at the Reichstag fire, except in the United States. Yeah. So for what it's worth, that is a major historical event with major ramifications that you were on the front line of and caught video of. Um, so for, for whatever uh, you know, that's worth and whatever trouble yeah. that, that brings. I'll, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, I don't know if the, I still don't know if it's going to bring any trouble. Um, fortunately, Washington Times ran a story two days ago saying that now the prosecutors and some of the, the cooler heads, even among Congress people are prevailing and saying, okay, look, you know, we don't, first of all, we cannot arrest everybody because it's just going to overwhelm. I mean, they're already, the, 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 the DC court system is already overwhelmed because of COVID delays anyway. And yeah. to arrest, you know, 800,000 people, however many actually went inside the building is just an for, impossible. For mostly yeah. trespassing essentially, which, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, most yeah. of it would be a waste of time. Right, right. And I think, you know, there, there's some, they're, they're up over, you know, a hundred and something arrests right now, but they're identifying, but obviously they're focusing and identifying on people that caused problems, did damage, you know, um, fought with police, uh, are identified particularly as part, as mil part of militant groups and, and did, you know, did engage in, in destructive behavior. And so that's where their focus has been. Um, but um, there, there have been a few uh, catch and release people from, you know, that were, just there being, you know, playing tourist. And so they've, they've charged them with some, some level of trespassing, but most people have been, have been uh, let go on their own reconnaissance. I mean, hell, even John Sullivan was let go on his own reconnaissance. He's in, under house arrest right now, but they let him go, but we know why they let him go. Right. Yeah. That's just kind of he par was, for the course. He was on the right team. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but the, but the, um, uh, I, I'll close. I'll close. Close it out. At least that portion of it. To, you know, with by by saying this is that uh, the this event was was planned. This was not an accident. I'll say it again: the FBI, Capitol Police, Congress, they all knew about it. They knew it was coming, and they knew exactly what level it was coming at. The other thing that they knew was, and this is, this is what really chaps my balls, is I am tired of hearing them call this domestic terrorism. A bunch of unarmed people against an armed police force is not terrorism in any way, shape, or form. What happened was allowed to happen, and probably encouraged to get the PR results that one particular side got. And that's what I saw with my eyes. That's what I've seen on the video since reviewing it 20 times. And that's my conclusion. And the, and the domestic terrorism um, narrative is absolute bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying what they're calling it. Bullshit. Oh, and how and how it's going to be used and and what's going to come of it is going to be scary. It's yeah, mm -hmm. it's going to be Patriot Act Part Two. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is great. We can we, we can call it. It's been two and a half hours. Get out of here. Um, 
So let us know about continuation of the road trip. Um, we think that's great. What, you know, what you're doing and trying to get groups Thank together you. and, um, you know, depending on where you go, maybe try to at least send some people your way. Um, well, see, now, now that Bernie has, um, I'm not Bernie, but uh, now that uh, Biden has um, healed us all and has changed yeah. everything, and now that we have, you know, New York and some other Northeast COVID. Are, you know, are opening up venues again. So there's going to be restaurants and bars where we can actually meet because I actually, I originally delayed I, um, the very beginning of my Northeastern run on the road trip was going to begin with DC as the first date. But so many of our contacts, you know, like you there in Columbus, that so many of our contacts were writing back to me and going, man, we, I can't, there's just nobody, no, either everybody's afraid to have a, you know, there's no locations in these very, I thought, okay, well, let's, let's, let's wait a couple of weeks and let's, let's get through the, let's get through the inauguration. Let's see if the, you know, the Kraken comes, blah, 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 blah. Let's just, let's wait, you know, and I'll, and, and then the other thing too was, is unfortunately talking about me losing my job, my calendar was clearing up, you know, cause I'm, I'm a full-time musician. That's what I've done, you know, for most of my adult life. And, and uh, so, you know, my February, my, well, first of all, my January calendar collapsed and my February calendar collapsed, March collapsed. So now I don't even have a date on the calendar until April 20th. So I had extra time to plan and, and, and work my way up to the Northeast. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm going to just go home. I mean, go to, go to DC, come back the next day, take a week, organize the trip up, push it off a couple of weeks. And then, you know, we'll find alternate venues and that sort of thing. Uh, we'll, we'll make it work. But now, um, uh, now that we've had uh, an extra three weeks since the big day up there um, uh, and venues are opening. So I think we're going to have a much easier time of it. Uh, and so we're plan I'm planning on, on actually uh, now because I've got extra time on my calendar because of all the, the extension of the uh, lockdowns and the, the closures of venues and uh, in my part of the world. I'm going to go ahead and start in Florida yet again, like we did last time, except instead of coming towards the Midwest and the South, you know, so I'm going to go straight up um, all the way up the East coast from Florida. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, keep us, keep us, keep us informed and um, you know, dates and places and whatnot. And then um, I have, uh, there's a couple projects that we're working on that, uh, you know, one's a website, open discourse society. Um, been trying to get, the framework built together and um, have a couple scripts out there that we're, that mm -hmm. we're going to use for ads. Um, so when that's further along, I wouldn't mind having you on again um, mm -hmm. because that could be something you find interesting and uh, you know, maybe even have a hand in the pile for. Um, yeah. Love to. Thank you. So yeah, we'll definitely, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess we're supposed to close it out with all of our various locations. So, you know, the e easiest way to find me everywhere and anywhere now is uh, the pragmatic constitutionalist. And uh, if um, anybody is interested in, in helping us pay for these things that we're doing now in this expansion uh, of our, you know, our outreach, um, uh, they can either donate on our website, the pragmatic constitutionalist.com. Uh, just go up and find the donate link up in the upper right-hand corner. And then we have um, like a Patreon page, but it's Dave Rubin's locals, uh, uh, com. So it's uh, the pragmatic constitutionalist dot locals.com. And uh, we're, 
that's going to be the place that we we're going to offer exclusive content. So I'm actually, I've been recording today some ex exclusive content for our supporters there. And we've set the payroll wall really, really, really low. We, it's only for $5 a month. People can get a lot of additional info and, and content from me um, that they won't see on any of the other social media sites. So, and, or even our own website. So that'll be our, that'll be our kind of our hub from this point forward. And hopefully nobody has the off switch to locals. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're hoping There's off switch for everything yeah so. here's one right, very, very good um yeah we'll uh we'll stay in touch so hey thank you so much i appreciate it jack hey.